Uh, this is Gabriel Hardman. And Corina Beckhouse. And you're listening to 11 o'clock comments. <laughs> That was superb. Now I'm not I'm not joking with you. That was a real good one. That was strong. Wasn't it? It was a happy, enthusiastic woo hyphen girl. Strong to, to very strong. I missed you dudes. It's been a while. Oh, yeah. it's been so long. Well we have to do more than one this week, don't we? Six days. And we have to do another one. So yeah. Okay, we we cluster them too close, we lose the the mojo, I think. The, the 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 energy's not there when we cluster them. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think it's that. I think that last week we we weren't really thinking about doing another one, even though we knew we had to. And for and in a very rare instance, we collectively read very little. It's true. For the second episode, we did book of the month, and we all had different things going on, which precluded us from reading a lot of other stuff, and that kind of made it a bit of a struggle that second episode. Right. I have a very healthy stack of things to get through this Oh, week. I read a shite ton. Yeah. For our brothers and sisters across the water. Shite. Right. Correct. Who's Rex? It's good to hear your voice. My voice? Yes. Why? You were missing an action this week. I had a lot of things to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, clearly. And we're, I, we're left to guess what they were. <laughs> I, I will not be connected to a device. I will not. Now I love you. I love both of you, but tether me, bitch. No, I just can't do it. I'm, I'm a free. I'm a free spirit, man. No doubt. What are you gonna say? I guess Dap and I are getting together for dinner by ourselves. I n- <laughs> I know what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say, "Hey, everybody, welcome <laughs> to Eleven O'clock Comics, Episode Five Hundred and Twenty Two." And I'm Vince B. Oh, you are. You are. I am David A. Price. It's true, and I am your Super Bowl MVP, Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Nick Foles. All right, let's get to the sponsorship now. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, you're not Nick Filardi. You're Jason Wood. Everybody is in the house dancing because we're happy. We're happy we're here. We're happy we're going to be able we're to talk so comics happy. with our brothers and sisters. I'm happy to see, well, not see, but talk to my two brothers. I'm just ecstatic, and you will be ecstatic, too, when your DCBS box comes to your home at the frequency that you choose dcbservice.com have all the stuff you want at the price you want to pay price is you want to pay such as i'm giddy because the list of specials is up and i gotta tell you this month is spectacular first off from dc yes i'm doing a dc spotlight because it is certainly warranted it is action comics number 1000 1,000. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And this is a prestige format, extra-sized issue featuring, got a pen? Write these down. Brian Michael Bendis, John Cassidy, Olivier Coapel, Paul Dini, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Patrick Gleason, Butch Geist, Jeff Johns, (laughs) 
We'll get to that later. Dan Jurgens, Tom King, Jim Lee, Clay Mann, Brad Meltzer, Jerry Ordway, Tim Sale, Louise Simonson, Scott Snyder, Kurt Swan, Peter J. Tomasi, Marv Wolfman, Doug Mankey, and more. This thing and is more. amazing. There's 10 covers. 10 different covers on this. Steve Rude's doing 1930s. Michael Cho's the 40s. Dave Gibbons, oh my God, is the 50s. Michael Allred got the 60s. Jim Steranko is doing the 70s. Joshua Middleton has the 80s. Dan Jurgens the 90s. Very appropriate. Lee Bermijo is doing the 2000s. Plus, there's a blank variant cover. Why wouldn't you order this? Well, in case you're worried about the price, what will it be in $7.99 at all? You don't have to worry because DCBService.com has it for $3.99. Getting the, it. The price of a regular issue. Good God, I'm getting it. I don't know what cover, but I think you have right. to order the, the the main cover to get the $3.99. I don't know. Don't quote me. I didn't check it, but that's usually the way it goes. Main cover is $3.99. Variant covers a little bit more. Not much, but a little, depending uh, okay. on the, the, the rarity. Before you go any further, what is, does it say, because I haven't read up on it, what is the difference between this issue and the hardcover we ordered a couple of months ago? The hardcover is the best of. This is all new. Oh, okay. Thank yeah. You. Yep. So there you go. I'm glad I could fill that out for you. I'm glad you could. From our friends at Dark Horse and... We're friends with the creator on this, so I don't mind pimping it. Aliens, Dust to Dust number one. Yes, sir. Written and illustrated by our boo, Gabriel Hardman. Dude is on a roll. Yes. The, Green Lantern, he's re, rebuilding the Green Lantern mythos. Now he's, re, then he's taking his spin on aliens. For real. The, the, here's the, the pitch. The Trono colony on LV-871 is under attack. Emergency evacuations are ordered. Evac shuttles are taking off. All 12-year-old Maxon and his mom have to do is make it to the spaceport. Except between them and it are bum, 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 xenomorphs. A terrifying coming-of-age story by master storyteller Gabriel Hardman who storyboard and it goes into what he storyboarded batman dark knight rises logan dawn of the planet of the apes blah blah, blah. it's it's hardman you need to order this the cover spectacular mm-hmm. it's the first of um four cover price 3.99 what are they gonna pay dollar 99 dollar 99 there you go jason's good with the numbers we all knew that and last but not least from boom robocop Citizen's Arrest by Jason's cousin, Brian Wood. Oh, my cousin. And the art is done by Jorge Cojelo. Uh, it is a, he's the visionary writer behind DMZ and Briggsland. And uh, Jorge Cojelo did Venom and Rocket Raccoon, a provocative vision of a future where justice is a crowdsource and lethal. Okay, cool. I'm ordering it. You should too. Cover price three ninety nine. That what are they going to pay? Is it half off? It sure is. I'm going to say one ninety nine. And you would be right. Oh, that's a rare. Amazing stuff this month. And if you want to see what we are recommending, you can pop on over to our Patreon, and we're going to put videos up. 
we're we're doing this thing now where when the the, the previews comes out, we're going to sit down, do a nice little video, maybe you know ten fifteen minutes, whatever. And if you're a patron subscriber, Patreon subscriber, you can uh, watch it and have fun with us. Indeed. DCBService.com. Do not mind late orders or order editions in. You get your books all shipped right on, right to your doorstep by a very happy, smiling man or woman who exists just to serve you. <laughs> what, mm-hmm. what could be easier? Do it. DCBService.com. You did forget one important uh, sale highlight. Was that? From Marvel Comics. <laughs> Domino number one. Didn't forget it. I mean, I saw it, oh! but I didn't forget it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be reading it because David Baldion's on the art. That is correct. Yes. Who's writing it? Take oh. Who? Take a guess. Um. Take a guess. Mm, I have no idea. Gail Simone makes her return to Marvel Comics. Oh, nice, nice. Yep. Well, it's, it's a good you, fit. You can get Domino Number 1 at Discount Comic Book Service for 50% off, three ninety nine cover price equals $1.99. That's amazing. Now, it too has a bunch of variant covers, but unfortunately they are Chase variants. Mm. So you got the regular cover, which is a Greg Land. Eh, that's 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 $1.99. You've got a Christopher Action Figure variant, which is three ninety nine, no discount. You've got an Elsa Charitier variant, which is also three ninety nine with no discount. I think that's one I'm going to order. You've got a Rob Liefeld variant for fifty dollar. <laughs> yeah, you've got, well, it's probably a, what, a, a one in hundred or whatever. Uh, you've got a Valdeon uh, variant for twenty, so that's probably a one in one in ten. And then you've got a uh, J. Scott Campbell variant for a hundred. Wow. So. I'd yeah. go for the Rob. I mean, if I was. Well, the Rob's a $50. Yeah, if I was dripping money, I'd go for the Rob. It's interesting that the creator of the character is the $50 cover, whereas Campbell's is 100 Yeah, it's a little sketch. Yeah. Well, that's his meat and potatoes, Mr. Campbell. So. Potatoes. Potatoes. That's true, it is. Speaking of potatoes. Oh, oh. What are we drinking? Boil and mash them. Stick drinking vodka? Is that what you're right? That's what I was just going to guess. By the way, your uh, your question earlier about the Action Comics variants. Yes. They are not Chase variants. You can have your pick for, well, the, the main one is 50% off any of the others. So your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts and blank are all available for 40% off. So instead of three ninety nine, you would pay four seventy nine. But See, that's not still bad. a pretty damn good deal if you prefer yes. one of the variants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Can't wait to place my order. And the Jim Lee co- cover is very striking. And we got some red tights going on. Woo! Give me five, Dap. Come on. There you go. <laughs> he looks so, so handsome. Spe- speaking of potatoes, what are you drinking, Vince? I'm drinking the the. Uh, see, I don't know what this is. I mean, it's wine, but <laughs> um, I got it for Christmas. It's homemade wine. Um, they tell me it's a Cabernet. And it does taste like a Cabernet. It's very good, but I don't know who made it. I know who gave it to me. 
but I, but I don't know who made it. It was it was made by someone they knew or someone someone they knew knew, and it was it was given to me as a gift, and it's very good. So I don't have a name. I don't have a. I have nothing other than it's red. It should please Dap, which makes me happy. And other, uh-huh. than, other than that, I don't know what it is. Mm. So okay. we'll call it. We'll call it. It's a jug, so I'm going to be drinking it for a while. We'll call it the mystery wine. Let's just call it Emmett Otter. Jug Band Christmas. That's great. Yes. What Look you drinking, that. Jason? Look at the birds. Uh, I am drinking. Trees. What? What? Emmett Otter. Oh. Look, look at the birds up in the trees. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. I uh, I am I'm drinking Cross Springs, 2014 Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh nice. And and it's for you, Dap. It has a mixed berry compote. Sweet and pepper, spice, olive, cucumber, and white tea aroma. Wow. Fla- flavors of spiced apple, floral honey, nut skin. That's its favorite. You <laughs> <laughs> almost made me choke, you dick. And it's dry. It is dry. You know what my favorite is, though? The, uh, no, no lie. The olive. If it has an aroma of olive or a taste of olive, some, some olive in there somewhere, I would drink the shit out of that. Because I, I love olives. No, you said nut skin. I said mixed berry compote, sweet and pepper spice, olive, cucumber, white tea, spiced apple, floral honey, nut skin, and cedar. You did, but then in in parentheses after you said nut skin, you said that's Vince's favorite. So you were targeting yeah, the nut skin, but the real favorite yes. is the olives. Yes, I'm not. I'm not too keen on olives. Me neither. Really? Me neither. Oh God! Are you crazy? Whenever no, whenever I whenever I order a salad, I I specifically ask them to hold off on the olive. Namesies, boo! Nuts! You're both crazy, it's crazy fun. as a fruitcake. Dude, you want hey, you want to you want to make me lose my appetite? Put a top of nod in front of me. That's unbelievable. You be top of nod, son. <laughs> oh, this. Next, you'll say you don't like artichokes. Don't. Oh, Hate them, actually. Oh God. So who would do the shopping if we all lived together? So this is a. Um, well, clearly that's late- never going to happen. <laughs> well, no. Well, only if. Never mind. Uh, this label caught my eye. Um, it is the legend of Big Bill, ridiculously big. Mm-hmm. Contains leaders. 21867 hand built in 1843 from made from french oak still the biggest vat in the south um it is a red blend of 60% petit verdot 20% cabernet sauvignon and 20% shiraz and it is uh william big bill miller now there was a man boxing champ decorated war hero spring bock rugby captain and the first general manager of kwv there is only one wine barrel in the world large enough to bear his name to carry his legacy as there is only one wine and you're holding it wine of origin western cape um it is a bold red blend with upfront strawberry cherry and mulberry aromas with hints of peppery spice and dark chocolate. Uh, the silky tannin structure is complemented by sweet fruit that contributes to the long lingering finish. And there it says sweet fruit, but I'm not getting a lot of sweet, so it it's it's really, really nice. This was not expensive, and I don't 
often have wines from South Africa, but um, I like this one. And and uh, there's a whole lot going on on the front of this label that that really um, a lot of fonts, a lot of uh, it's crazy, but it works. It's a cool looking bottle. Hmm. That's all I got to say. All right, right. I on. heard he goes by the name of Sweet William now. That big Sweet bill. William. That big bill. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. We got any thank yous of any kind? I don't. Uh, no. Any Patreon shoutouts? Ooh. Yes. All right, hit it. Hit it to win it. Uh, let me grab that channel. Uh, we have, hmm, Mr. Kevin Whedon, whoop, whoop. who is a new patron, and this gentleman upped his pledge and, uh, or his donation or his patronage. Uh, and he goes by Bryce Bridges. Excellent. Yeah. And didn't Mr. Jonathan Rafferty also up his pledge from? From uh, I think I he, believe du- he, he doubled did, his pledge as well. But uh, let's see. Let me check. I have not checked notifications today, and if so, that is my bad. If anybody did anything today, uh, well, he was already Illuminati tier, and he doubled right. It. And because yeah. right, but be, and and yes, he he did double it. Uh, but because he of his initial level, he got the shout out when he first. Uh, oh no doubt, no doubt. Uh, I just you're absolutely right. No, no, by all means, give a shout out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to start because I want to I want to play a little uh, moderator for you too. Because both my boos voted in our eleven o'clockers that the biggest news of two thousand and seventeen in the comics world was Brian Michael Bendis heading to DC Comics. That's true. And with that as a backdrop, we have, as was to be expected, finally gotten some more detail as to what Mister Bendis is going to be up to in his first foray at the Distinguished Competition. Yep. Yes. And that, well, there's lots of things, including uh, he's bringing Jinx World over, all of his titles like Powers and all that stuff, um, Scarlet and the like. He's going to have that. They are giving him his own imprints, yes. where he will essentially be an editor and be helped shaping a whole line. Um, and there aren't many details of that beyond that, so that's to be determined. But the big news, the news that has gotten incredible press. I mean, it has been all over. It's been on TV. It's been Entertainment Weekly, Hollywood Reporter. It's all over the place. Um, is that he will be pulling a John Byrne and taking full ownership of the entire Super ha- Superman line. And well, I mean, you two, anyone that's listened to the show before this evening knows that you two are uh, much bigger Superman fans than I both historically and and currently. Um, and since y'all were super excited about Bendis and thought it was the biggest news, um, I would love to hear both of your respective thoughts about the detailed plans, which include Bendis is going to have a short story in Action Comics number 1000 with uh, art by Jim Lee. No. That's that's going to oh, follow. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry. You're right. Yes. My bad. That is going to follow in May, the beginning of a six-week miniseries called Man of Steel, <laughs> uh, which will reimagine uh, Krypton's final days. Then he will, uh, Bendis will be taking over both Action Comics and Superman. Action Comics will continue with its existing numbering, so he takes over officially with 1001, and they are renumbering Superman at number one, 
Superman, he will be paired up with Yvonne Hayes on art. And at Action Comics, he will remain uh, with the existing artist, Mr. Patrick Gleason. And apparently, um, Action will be focused more on character-driven stories, uh, and uh, his role is Clark Kent and the Daily Planet. And then Superman will be the more traditional Superman with cape and red tights man of the world. So I ask you gentlemen who were so excited about this move and are such Superman acolytes, what do you think of what you've heard so far? You go first. Vince. Oh boy. I am giddy. Wow. All yes, right. right on. I'm, I'm giddy because uh, while I have very much enjoyed what Patrick Gleason and company have done with the character. It felt comfortable and it felt almost right, but there was still something missing. And I'm not talking about just the red tights. Um, the, a little bit of the majesty was missing because it is still Superman in a strange new world. It's really not Superman in DC proper continuity. I mean, the, that splitting hairs, the new continuity is DC proper continuity. If, if Bendis is going to go back and retell the origin within this new framework, then it will feel like, to me anyway, it will feel like it has been that way all along. It's it's something that I think the character needs every once in a while, like Spider-Man, like like Batman every so often. Batman doesn't need as much as Superman and Spider-Man, but he, he does require it every once in a while. But Superman and Spider-Man, they need a shake-up every now and then. We've seen it. How many times has, has Peter changed over, over the decades? And the same thing with Superman. You need to keep these old dogs fresh. And Superman's the oldest dog on the block. So to to inject some some vitality into the franchise, you gotta bust it up every now and then. What better way to bust it up than Bendis? Right? All eyes on him. And he's coming in and, and there's only been one other creator that has ever set the good ship Superman on a on a rock solid course, and that's John Byrne. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, for decades, Superman had stagnated. It was the same old stuff every issue, issue after issue, same old crap. They brought Byrne in, and Byrne said, you know what? I think I've learned a lot my time across the street back then. I'm going to come over, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pump some, some new blood into this character, and he worked wonders with Superman. I think Bendis is on the same level as Byrne. Bendis has told a lot of great stories, a lot of not so great stories, but more great than not so great. He's learned his his chops. He's a very very popular writer. Yeah, I want to see him on Superman because that means Superman's going to be selling. Mm-hmm. And if Superman sells, then we Superman fans are happy because one title will lead to action, will lead to maybe another title down the line. Like I, it, more is better. In, in the case of Superman, for me. 
Like when they were shipping five titles a month on Superman, I was happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I just love the character. So um, I think they've learned from their mistakes. Uh, hopefully, they'll erase, like Byrne did. They will erase all prior continuity and start from scratch. That is the best way to do it. Because if you bring Bendis in, like Byrne, there are going to be a ton of new eyes on this. And the worst thing you could do is say. Is, is is bring all this baggage to the table and expect new eyes to catch up. That, that, that's not, it's, it's a missed opportunity. Let everyone experience this new, okay? Um, and to do it in a Man of Steel miniseries, which honors the past and propels the, the, the franchise forward, I, there's, no, there's no bad here. There, well, there, there is one bad. Peter Tomasi, I, I, I think, is getting the short straw. But when you're Peter Tomasi, if someone like Bendis comes in, you have to expect to be kicked to the curb. I mean, mm-hmm. you're Peter Tomasi, you do good work, but this is Bendis. This is one of the, one of the comics Illuminati. So mm-hmm. if Bendis wants Superman, they're going to give it to, to Bendis. I mean, it, it sucks for Peter, but that's the way it is. You know, and, and I'm sure he'll go to another title and do equally fine work, and I'll read that too. I mean, I love the man's work. But right for right now, I think Bendis is going to work some, some big magic on Superman, and it's going to. Superman under Bendis will probably, fingers crossed, rival or at least compare to the numbers Tom is pulling in on Batman. I love it. I love the strong take. Yeah. I- I appreciate everything you said. I think you're probably a, a little too optimistic on the sales side of things, but I think the quality will certainly be there. You think Batman's well, uh you're right. Batman is an easier sell than Superman. Yeah, I, I think it I think it'll do big numbers at first. I, I think it'll probably settle back down. But but it can do a lot better numbers than it's been doing to your point. Yeah. There's no it, reason Superman shouldn't be one of the five or ten biggest books of DC at all times, right? It, well it should be. Right, and that—that's what the 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 focus was when Byrne came on. They said, "Look, this we have the biggest gun in the arsenal in in all in, in all of comics. We have the biggest gun. Why is it not selling?" Mm-hmm. Well, because it was it was too old school for contemporary readers. And I still and, can't believe I've never read Byrne Superman. Oh, oh, it's fantastic. You know oh, that though. You know I haven't. That's read that's going on a book of the month suggestion. Yeah. That'd be great. That'd be a great reason to finally jump in. Yeah, but no, I'm 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 super uh, optimistic about this. Um, and, and like like I I've always said, I, and enjo- I will be reading it with y'all at least for to start. I will Great, uh, that, that's awesome. I enjoy mm-hmm. Bendis's work. I don't love all of it, mm-hmm. you know, but that's okay. The man can write very well, and um, he is a star. So to put a star on Superman. If, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm 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 happy. I'm so giddy. Wait, before Dap jumps in, I did say, uh, I did hear someone else on a show that I listened to. Um, I guess they had noticed, or someone had pointed out to them that this was definitely a change of plans mm-hmm. in the sense that Amazon had been carrying an Action Comics trade solicit because you know they often list things well in advance with a full description of Action Comics 1001 through 1006, <laughs> written by Dan Jurgens. <laughs> so, so it definitely was 
it was a course correction, which I guess explains why the book's going to go on a three month hiatus. <laughs> so, yeah. well, Dan has been doing action. Yeah, no, I know, yeah. but I'm saying, but clearly, th- there were plans in place already for him to continue. So, <laughs> they could just repackage that as a offshoot or, or separate series. Yeah. So, Dap, I know you were super excited about this because you were clamoring to get Vince's reaction when the news broke. So, speak on it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked. Yeah, I'm, I'm as giddy as Vince. The, um, I will say. Um, I, I completely, I'm, I'm all about people being miffed, uh, when someone else gets shuffled onto something else. I, I, I'm, I'm all about rewarding loyalty and, mm-hmm. and, and Peter has been a major team player. I thought he was writing Superman for a lot longer than just this rebirth run, uh, he he wrote some of the um, the fall of the New Fifty Two Superman that wrapped up those series. Uh, before that, he was writing Superman Wonder Woman. Um, so he hasn't he hasn't been writing the main character, uh, the Big Blue Boy Scout, for as long as I thought he was. Uh, that said, it's still he still wrote uh, two years worth of stories within one year's time. And then he took a break, and then he came back, and I think today uh, there was another writer on this week's issue of Superman. Uh, so um, part of me wonders if maybe he's he said everything he wanted to say because he he, he wrote this the new Lois and Clark Superman in this new or the old Superman in this new DC universe. So uh, maybe he did everything. I don't want to think of him as I Lord knows I was miffed big time when I found out that Dwayne McDuffie was basically just keeping the keyboard warm between JMS and Mark Miller. And he knew that going in. That was a story he wanted to tell. I understand it's Mark Miller and Dwayne McDuffie. I'm still pissed because I want to read Dwayne McDuffie's Fantastic Four. Nevertheless, uh, I'm thinking if maybe Tomasi is like, I did what I needed to do with the character. This is a good time for me to go do something else. And, and that's, what's going to happen here. Um, the fact that Gleason's still going to be on it, I think will help bridge the, not the old and the new, but the previous to, to Bendis's run. Uh, Bendis has said that he is not going to erase everything that Peter and Patrick and Dan have done. Uh, he's going to build up from that. So I'm, I'm sure there, Bendis is pretty good at finding old stories where something happened between panels that he's been able to flesh out and, and, and retcon or add to, to someone's uh, origin. So I'm, I'm, I have a lot of confidence in, in him being able to, uh, weave things together. I, I don't. I don't see him uh, taking the etch a sketch and shaking it so he can just build <laughs> new. Um, the you know Marvel, as much as you may want Century to be it, Marvel does not have, nor do they need a Superman type character. Uh, because as cool as Hyperion is, he's still it's he's not Superman because the attitude. Is different, even even mm-hmm. in Grunwald Squadron Supreme. I mean, I'm not talking about the Supreme Power stuff, but even back then, um, 
and because the Squadron Supreme originally appeared as, or the Squadron Sinister appeared as villains, you know, so it was, uh, I, I am really interested in seeing Bendis' take on not a character like Superman, but actually Superman. So the, um, there's, there's something, I think we're going to get a, we're going to have a voice that we haven't really had from Superman. He's going to sound a little different, which is fine. And, and it's not, I, not, not he'll completely sound different, but I think he'll, um, it, the, we've had, we've had years, we've had decades of people like Jurgens. We've, we've had, we've had Louis Simonson. We've had Wolfman and Stern. And there's so many people who we grew up reading comics that were written by that we've had them write Superman. And, and, uh, while there was consistency and everything sounded, um, familiar, I'm, I'm looking forward to the dialogue, the, the, or the inflection sounds weird, but that kind of, that, 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 Bendis-y type. I, I don't know if I want straight up the type of Bendis dialogue we had in, in Avengers for all these years, but it, it I'm curious in that regard. Um, I, it, it's for the most part for me, I'm looking at it as it's something new because it's, it's a new sandbox for him to play in. Uh, but it's, it's still the first, um, superhero and and he's he he does really good work with companies flagships characters and uh i have no reason to think superman will be any different the 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 you know coming out with a six issue miniseries titled man of steel i mean i'm i was already at half mass but now i am just really (laughs) um (laughs) I just it, there are there's certain there's certain notes that if, if if you hit just right for me, um, it there there really is it it's going to be really difficult for me to find something to for me to find something wrong about, uh, and and what he has lined up for this who who he's working with. Um, working with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez on, on the man of steel mini work with the other artists that he's got lined up. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be, I mean, it'd be, it'd be a big deal if it was just Bendis coming to write Superman. But the fact that, I mean, they are throwing everything at this, um, there is, it's going to be scrutinized and people are going, it, it, it'll be like me reading a Zdarsky comic book. I'm just looking for something to, to bitch about. So I, I know that, um, people will, Try to find something and be like, oh, well, all right, yeah, no, this was going to happen. And, and, but as far as him coming in and, and them having to, to reshuffle people, um, yeah, it, like I said, Jurgens has, has written, Jurgens did not need this action comics run to cement his legacy as a Superman writer. And, uh, as cool as a lot of this run was, I mean, going back when, uh, you know, Luther was about to be executed. And I mean, some of it got a little silly with the whole duplicate Clark Kent. And uh, so it didn't really rock my world because I am way behind on action comics. Um, I 
I don't. I'm definitely not as put off by, put out as so many other readers are, but I am. Um, as, I, like Vince said, I'm I'm giddy. I, I'm I'm really really excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and he seems to. I. You mentioned Byrne, and I see there are similarities with what they're coming in to do. Uh, but with Byrne, and I've never met the man, just going by his his, his professional work and interviews I've, I've read and, and heard thanks to Around Comics. Uh, between the two, Byrne seems like the type who would come in Big Dick Swing and, and wanting to reset everything. And I think Bendis is more along the lines of, this is what you guys have set up. I'm going to work within this. And um, that, it, it, it's, I don't think, granted it was it was after Crisis on Infinite Earth, so Byrne had a clean slate to play with. Um, I just think, I think with Bendis, he, he's just—he's going to be more respectful of of what came before, and not that Burn, what Byrne did absolutely fit, and and you know he made it more real as far as you know the science behind the character and and the world he was in—it it wasn't so Silver Age silly anymore. Um, but I think I, I just I think Bendis is going to be more more receptive and more acceptable more accepting of, of what came before. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really psyched for it. Thank you, boys. <laughs> You're welcome. Can we keep and the, the red um, are back. yes. And the red trunks are back. Can we keep the, uh, train on the DC track for a couple Absolutely. of, who you asking? Of course, a couple of minutes. Um, well, I guess this needs a preface. Um, the reason why I kind of spit when I, I mentioned Jeff Johns's name you during, the Luki, I think. Sure did. During, during the DCBS, um, spot was because he has recently done something that I find an unforgivable sin, mm. a blunder of massive proportions, oh, massive, it's massive blunder. that, that will pretty much tarnish everything that comes from this franchise going forward. But anyway, um, I have gone on record saying that I believed the before Watchmen stuff was a good idea. I enjoyed the stories. I thought they were wonderful and the creative teams did a fantastic job. I have also been, uh, it's also been documented that I thought the sequel, current sequel, the Doomsday Clock, to Watchmen was an awesome idea. And I know Dap is going to throw this bone at me, so I'll say it right now. I still believe that DC owns these characters. DC can do whatever they want with these characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you have not read Doomsday Clock number three, big spoilers, big spoilers, because um, I'm, I cannot talk about what I want to... I can't say what I want to say yeah, without no, spoiling the shit let's, out of it. Let's, let's one more time. We're going to spoil... Doomsday Clock number three in great detail. So yes, um, in Watchmen number one, the the Alan Moore Dave Gibbons Watchmen number one, 
when uh, Veet throws the comedian through the plate glass window to his death, ground floor coming up, Mr. Jeff Johns took that scene as an opportunity because we do not see the comedian hit the pavement. We don't see any traces. We do see blood in the gutter and the button, but we don't see the comedian actually strike the pavement. Jeff Johns thought it was a good idea to retcon that sequence and have Dr. Manhattan save the comedian. And that is how the comedian is now running around in the current DC universe. Now, I, I'm of the mind where, yes, they can do whatever they want with these characters because they own them, but it's pretty ham-fisted on Jeff Johns's part. Um, almost fanboy rewrite ham-fisted where he has the the deus ex machina come in and just erase the past dr manhattan can do anything let's have him save the comedian it's fucking stupid and mm -hmm. and and here, here's the way i see it if you come onto a property like watchmen where certain things a classic property certain things have been set in stone okay one of them being the comedian dies. Another being Rorschach dies. Okay, so they've dealt with that in a unique and creative way in the new series by having a new Rorschach. Um, you get a hand of cards when you're given a property, and you play that hand. You don't go back in the deck and fish out the aces, Jeff. It's, it's cheating. It's weak. And it's just it's just ham fisted. It's boring, and I don't think it was necessary. And and like I said, from now on with this Watchmen stuff, Doomsday Clock was shaping up to be a great series. Now with this stupid retcon that he felt like he had to do, I'm thinking it's over for me. And and it sucks because Gary Frank is doing the absolute best work of his entire career in this series. Dap, do you feel the same way? It's interesting um, because I have been told many, many times, and it's true, and I, I preach it, um, nothing has absolutely changed in that absolute Watchmen I have sitting on my shelf next to me. Those 12 issues still exist right there. They do. Comedian still dies at the beginning of the first issue. So, the beginning of this third issue of Doomsday Clock did not repulse me um, because we live in a world where DC, who owns these characters, felt the need to publish a prequel series of Watchmen, which still didn't do anything to my absolute Watchmen. Uh, but the so, prequels, I'm not being, I'm not want to interject, but I'm gonna. The the prequels didn't change anything. No, they they didn't. They, 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 they just polished that little that 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 big diamond that Warren Gibbons had created. And that's that's because, all they did. Because the world dies at the end of Watchmen, um, for Doctor Manhattan to fuck around with time 
and pluck comedian out of the sky, bringing him here, uh, doesn't really doesn't phase me all that much. It's it's and and you could even say because of the whole infinite dimensions and parallel universes and now everything splits off from uh, this moment is the same in another parallel universe except for one second later it, it you could just Blake still falls to his death in one universe this parallel universe where Doc Manhattan saves comedian um, but what's interesting is well no because even he was still thrown out of a window so that could have been a poetic part um, no I, I that it's funny you you your issue is right at the beginning of this particular comic book mine is more towards the end um but it it's it's i i totally support you in, in feeling that way and i i get you um but because this whole because the watchman saga has been um dissected and and just torn apart and and sides have fought over the silliest of things even when the creators don't want to fight over these things um i i don't shrug my shoulders at it but i'm kind of just like dc gonna do dc and and that's so yeah it it's i i i get why this would cause a 180 for you but for me it's just it's it's like well they've already if i could say it that way they've already ruined in quotes watchmen for me by doing prequels and now this then the first few pages of issue number three isn't going to make me feel any better or worse mm-hmm. it's such a lame-ass move though I'm not disagreeing with you. It's 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 embarrassingly lame. It's, it's, I mean, that aside, we also find that you know we we. It's weird that this is the third issue, and this would be something that would happen in maybe the penultimate issue of the series, or or even towards the end, because we also find things out about the mine, and and there are just little things that you would think would make for a bigger reveal later on and not so early. Um, but no, I don't, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, 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 I think that th- there were, could have been other ways to do it. You didn't, you didn't necessarily, it, it's, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, this is going to be cool. This is going to make them go out. Oh, they're going to go crazy over this because I'm going to bring this guy back and he's going to beat the shit out of, out of Adrian and, and people will be cool with it. And then, but no, he could have gotten anybody else to, do this to, for 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 feet to to escape and and find higher ground at at, at for to, to fight again. It's just I, I, I'm with you. I I thought the third issue was the weakest of the three. Yes, there were other things about the issue I didn't care for. Um. I must admit that I'm with you that I don't think it was something I wanted him to do per se. Um, But I am a little softer on it in the sense that I'm not sure I can 
beat him up too much because, I mean, retconning characters back to life or from the dead is pretty much standard superhero comic fare. Sure. So, which is like, exactly I agree, why I, I think it's weak. No, I agree. Well, I, I thought the issue was weak on a lot of levels. Like I, 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 I think we saw too much Rorschach in this issue, and Rorschach's acting almost like he's mentally handicapped. Mm. Like the way he speaks, it's almost like he's, I don't know, like got like a learning disability. You know, I mean, which I know isn't all that different from how he spoke the cadence he had in the original, but it just it seemed a little more forced. Especially because it's not the same Rorschach, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I, I don't know why he talks like that. Um, I, I know we were supposed to be blown away, jaw on the floor, with the idea of the comedian being alive and then fighting Veet and, and you know, putting him perilously close to being thrown out of a window and so forth and then finally doing so. And, and and if you recall, when we talked about the first issue, there was a fine line with what I took to be masterful homage and honoring the original Watchmen by showing a lot of symmetry. And some saying it's way too derivative. It's John's trying to be Alan Moore. And I think this third issue felt more than the other two, like John's basically just trying to do what happened in Watchmen again and saying, see, remember that? Wasn't that cool? Let's do that again. And it didn't feel nuanced. It didn't feel special. Um, and I think it was much the worse for it. Uh, I know our, our, our homie Mario had an issue with um, the scene with the stand-up comedian. Yeah. Who is one of Alan, who is meant to be one of Alan Moore's best friends. I'm, I'm, I apologize. I don't know his name offhand. Um, and, and the mocking of that, it's sort of like a, Mario and others interpreted that as there's no no other reason that that was done other than to make fun of Alan. Um, I'm not sure I can buy into that entirely because I get no vibe that Jeff Johns doesn't worship at the altar of Alan Moore. I think Johns was trying to pay homage to Alan by putting one of his best friends who happens to be a stand-up comedian in the book. And killing sure him? In- <laughs> yeah, but I was just going to say, just like Tom King had us play awkwardly named thugs in Batman and kill us. Were we insulted by that? Was he doing that to, to, to be mean to us? No, he was doing it to get our, to get our names mentioned. So I, I, again, I'm not saying it was the right choice per se, but I don't think it was poorly intended. I don't think that was Jeff Johns trying to, to chirp Alan Moore. I I do think he's intending to, to honor him in, in whatever way he can, but I don't know that he's doing a great job of it, especially with this third issue. Um, I felt absolutely nothing for, to me, there were two big moments in the book that were supposed to be these jaw-dropper climaxes, which were uh, the comedian V fight climax, and then the final page of Batman tricking Rorschach into locking him up in Arkham. Yeah, and neither both landed with a thud for me. Hmm. I I got nothing out of either of those. I thought I thought they were both um, uninspired. Uh, and very transparently more esque moves rather than I want this to be Jeff Johns telling me a story with these characters. Right. I want Jeff Johns to get the confidence back, or at least give me the sense that he's got the confidence back to do with these characters what he did when he 
took his own interpretation of modernizing characters like the flash and green lantern, um, which is really what made in JSA, which is what made him quote unquote, Jeff motherfucking Johns. Um, again, it's the third issue of 12. I did enjoy the first a lot. I thought the second was decent. This one didn't do much for me. So it's way too early for me to, to, to judge this one way or another. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think he's got some work to do. Hey, hey, Lucy, he's got some work to do, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, coming off this one. I think that there are a couple of very clever things in this issue. I think the Nathaniel Dusk, um, segments are brilliant. I love it. How That's he's, cool. how he's tying this background static, not only into the story, but into a character from the DC universe that's great um i liked the fact that this new rorschach his mind broke when he saw the the cthulhu-esque creature in manhattan Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that broke him and that's why he has become this guttural uh you know very uh terse uh unhinged type person and and he scrubbed his his scalp until he bled i mean there's really yeah. something wrong with this kid mm-hmm. um and i thought it was completely in character for batman to throw him in arkin yeah i guess it was but i don't know it just didn't feel what, I guess what it I, felt like it felt like him trying to be clever versus me thinking, "Oh, how clever!" Right. What I didn't feel was in character was Batman coming to the kid as Bruce Wayne. That was just plain dumb. I don't know why he would do such a thing. He doesn't mm-hmm. know this person. This is the first time he's ever encountered him. He welcomes him into his home. He lets him sleep for twenty four hours, and he goes to his room as Bruce Wayne. Are you kidding me? Why that? That is a. Um, uh, a chink in the armor that Batman would never create. Mm-hmm. I guess just to put him at ease so that he'd he'd believe him and and follow him to uh, to where he thinks Doctor yeah. Manhattan is. I'm getting um, yeah, I'm getting it, but um, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean him him locking him up or tricking him into getting him to Arkham is, I, I guess, is in character. I think it just it wasn't. Yeah, it, it. I guess it just wasn't much of a build. I, I, I expect something maybe more extravagant, uh, especially from Batman. Like, of, of, of after all of that, he's going to read this diary, and and they're having um, somewhat of a conversation while he's waiting for Batman to read the diary, asking, you know, what page? I'm on, I'm on page four. He's like, well, Jesus, it's taking you forever, so I'm gonna, yeah. I'll go clean up, and 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 it's just, it's. Plus, wouldn't he assume that Rorschach can escape? The, Rorschach found his way into the mansion and the Batcave with with ease. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's everything that lines up, and then I'm just going to lock him up in our. Which is why you know I think it's it's maybe somewhat of a feint. It's just he's he's not because of the end of the second issue and the beginning of the third issue mm-hmm. where we're seconds apart. Um, I'm wondering, even though I have nothing to go by because the end of the first issue and the beginning of the second really don't, but right. I'm, I'm hoping that the fourth issue picks up 
right quick after the end of this one so we get a little bit more of maybe an explanation um not look for closure just want want to maybe yeah uh, get into to the mindset a little bit it, it's it's just it was i and, and and what i was talking about vince is finding out that it was the 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 real dc universe is because of the appearance of johnny thunder um right which was freaking but, sad wasn't it Yes, but it was sad when we saw him in Rebirth, and I mean, there obviously hasn't been much movement, and and I and and I figured that as I oh okay, so they're in Arkham, which is exactly where Saturn Girl is, right? So maybe the fourth issue will continue to um, piece these things together. So so maybe that is. Uh, Maybe right. Okay, this might okay. explain yeah, why, why why Batman's doing what he's yeah. doing. But what do you guys think about the reveal of um, Mime's power set? That I dug. I, I I dug that he actually has a. Well, I don't know if they're powers or or if they they literally are invisible weapons because he did remember want to go and get his invisible weapons from that locker right 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 uh, either way though I, I thought that was cool i thought he was just a nut job who happened to be pretty dead right. with his hands yeah. so i dug that adap you said something that i find very curious mm-hmm. what do you mean that world was destroyed when you said the world was destroyed the the end of i had what happens at the end of Watchmen number 12. The fake alien is teleported in Manhattan. And then when V and Rorschach and, and mom and Marionette leave to come to the DC universe, what happens to that world? Not the world. The it, it was an area, you know. It was doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be the world. No, but they but then they could have gone to another place, and, and they they wouldn't have to like skip to a different universe. But but that's it's. I might have been. Yeah, see, I didn't take it as them destroying the whole world. Just you know, like it, it was a bomb with the requisite discharge of of whatever that enabled them to come it didn't have to be a a world killer it could have been just some some type of nuclear device you know what i mean like that's that's enough if localized right i didn't i just didn't take it as the entire world being destroyed i I would have taken that as a slap in the face if that if they, they destroyed their entire world just to get over here you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I don't see them going back to it. I mean, if for, for in, as, I guess in my mind, for all intents and purposes, there it's 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 gone. Okay. Well, I mean, that's it. May be a symbolic. This is gone now. Right. You know, and now we're going to move on. Which, unfortunately, he missed, made a made a big misstep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just silly. There's no need for it. But they they can do whatever they want with these characters. True, yeah, yeah. that is true. So, all ultimately, right. it is their choice. Let's uh, let's pick it up and and talk about something um, we unanimously love.
Which I'm Ooh. hoping you guys have something. <laughs> that would be unanimous, then, would it? I was going to say, yeah. Well, you never know. I read a lot of things. Oh, did you know? Yeah. Jason. Uh, I, I will quickly just say that I thought Savage Dragon 231 was a bit of a whiff. Stop. I didn't read it yet. Okay. Oh, my God. It just came out today. Look exactly. Look at us being ahead of you on Savage Dragon. I love it. Uh, let's let's talk a minute because it's our, our another one of our homies. Uh, the much anticipated joining the already in in circulation X Men Blue and X Men Gold hitting the stands today with much fanfare. X Men Red number one, written by Tom Taylor, who has been doing an amazing job writing the all new Wolverine for the last few years, uh, with uh, with fantastic art by our good friend Mr. Mahmoud Asrar, and. Uh, I know Dap and I both read this. I do want to start preface it though with a quick chat about Phoenix Resurrection, hmm. which was a five-issue weekly miniseries that led into this. The reason it leads into it is because if you didn't know, X Men Red is led. The team is led by Jean Grey, and no, not the young Jean Grey that Bendis brought uh, back from the or to the to our. Timeline from the past uh, that's been around for a while. It is, in fact, the original, the OG, Jean Grey, who died multiple times um, because of the Phoenix. She is back. And if you picked up X-Men Red and you didn't read Phoenix Resurrection, you're likely wondering, well, how in the hell is she back? So I will quickly say that Phoenix Resurrection um, tells us that story. And... um, if you haven't read it, I will save you the trouble. You don't need to read it. You just need to know that the story brings her back. There's not all that much to it, believe it or not. There's no grand... Um, there's, this is not... Uh, this is not going to win an Eisner, uh, Phoenix Resurrection. It was a means to an end. It was essentially editorial saying, we're bringing Gene back. It is your guy's job to craft a miniseries to make that happen so that we can have her back into the... Uh, the, the chessboard, the tapestry of the Marvel universe. Um, just quickly, um, it was uh, written by um, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, who I do like. He's been doing some good stuff lately. Uh, the the Since it was five weekly issues, um, each of the issues, well, the first four issues are each penciled by someone different. And then the final issue is penciled and inked by all of the people that had done the prior issues. Um, I will tell you that um, the art is not the strong suit for this miniseries. Uh, and also I will tell you that, uh, unfortunately, the issues, and I'm sure it wasn't planned this way, have um, a progressively deteriorating level of, 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 of art. Um, the first issue is Lionel Yu with uh, his, his oft-inker, uh, Alan, Alan, Alan Guillen. Um, that looks good. I thought that issue looked, looked really good. Um, the second issue is um, by Carlos Pacheco with an inker by the name of Fonteris. Uh That is okay. You guys know Pacheco can vary widely, and I think a lot of it has to do with who's inking him. Um, it was a step down from you, but, but, still, but still acceptable. Um, but then... We go to um, issue three is drawn by um, um, Rod Rosanas, 
and I, I, I think it's it's a struggle. I really do. Have to, I mean, frankly, it's just it's, it's not not really not not solid work. Um, I don't know how else to say it. I just I don't think it really is up to snuff. Um, uh, and I'm sorry, that's issue four. Uh, issue three was was drawn by by Joe Bennett, who has done okay work. We've seen him do some decent stuff, but but uh, but again, to me, it's like you is a four and a half out of five. Um, in this book, Pacheco is like a three and a half. Uh, Bennett's like a two and a half, and Rosanas is like a one and a half. And then in the last issue, we get a little bit of Bennett and a little bit of you, so it looks better. Um, but I'll, again, I'll, I'll, I'll save you all the trouble of having to read five issues. Essentially, the X-Men are picking up strange signals from around the world. They are kind of like mutant signals you pick up on Cerebro, but not quite. Uh, and there's these strange events happening with non-mutants at each of these spots. Um, it turns out that the Phoenix, which we all know uh, is a universal force of, of omnipotence that um, just like the mythos uh, dies and then comes back to life. A Phoenix egg, which we've dealt with before is, uh, is hatched and it's decided it wants to have its ultimate host back in the form of gene. So it creates an environment meant to mentally get gene to accept being paired with the Phoenix again. And so essentially throughout the story, you've got Jean Grey as a waitress in a old school diner tending to different customers. And that is supposed to be this little safe pocket reality. And the owner of the diner, an old woman named Annie, is the Phoenix Force and is guiding her. And slowly but surely, the X-Men figure out where the location is and they get there and they intervene and essentially with very little to do, convince Gene to um, purge the Phoenix Force from herself and to come back to life. And that's pretty much what happens. Gene has like a five-page conversation with the Phoenix Bird saying, listen, I, I know you want to be with me. I, I, I don't need you. You got to go and be with somebody else. And the bird eventually says, okay, and evaporates. And we're left with Gene sitting on terra firma, surrounded by the X-Men, welcoming her back to life. And then we pick right up in X, X-Men Red, where she's the team leader in a brand spanking new, never-before-seen costume, ready to save the world's uh, relationship with mutant kind. So uh, she made a pretty quick adjustment to, to being back to life uh, again and having to adapt to what would likely be an, an, an earth-shattering number of changes that have occurred to her friends and family since she was gone. Um, but I guess this is comics, so she had a pretty quick adjustment period. Which brings us to X-Men Red, um, which uh, I'll, I've been talking for a while. Dap, what did you think of X-Men Red? Uh, not knowing about the resurrection, um, I read this for two reasons. Uh, one, because you were really looking forward to it, and two... Uh, because Mahmoud drew it. Um, pretty sweet Travis cover on the first issue. Pretty simple um, image with a somewhat of a corner box, Vince, with, with five headshots uh, in the upper left of the cover. I, because I'm currently not reading gold or blue, um, I'm not sure what 
the statuses for the X-Men team and, and who's around and who's on what. Um, but Nightcrawler's on this team. I like Nightcrawler. Uh, the, the team consists of um, Jean Grey, who, please just let's give her a name, Nightcrawler, Namor, Wolverine, and someone I've never seen before, Honey Badger, who kind of think <laughs> I, I, I kind of think is Wolverine's sidekick. Yeah, it's, it's who I've mentioned. I've mentioned her. She is one of her clones. The oh, that's one. right. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, they, yes, they yes, just yes. started calling her Honey Badger, which I okay. think is awesome. I think that's an amazing nickname for it her. It is. I'll... But uh, yeah, she is a younger, fiercer clone of 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 Laura. Laura. Okay. Uh, so it's it's not exactly a for you, me a super strong lineup. So you didn't you mentioned you didn't mention gentle or trinary because that's on the cover page. But yes, when when we first the the first mutant we meet in the issue, uh, when Jean Grey shows up, uh, trinary and gentle is also uh, with them. But they're not they're not shown on the cover or with the team roll call True. on the correct page. Um, and apparently, you don't have to hit puberty for your mutant powers to manifest anymore to, for, for them to appear. Uh, because I'm, I doubt Heather is 13. She may be, but, um, the mutant we meet later in the issue definitely is nowhere near, uh, 13, but I thought it was a, um, I, I kind of, it's not necessarily a brand spanking new concept as far as, you know, wanting the, the mutants to be, a. a a nation, a nation, yeah. Um, but I super appreciate the way Gene goes about it and and getting back, um, getting backup for uh, when it comes to the votes at the UN and uh, the reveal of the big bad at the end was was a nice touch. So I can I, I'm 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 interested in in seeing them, uh, seeing Gene Gray. And this character kind of um, face off more or less, for lack of a better word. Uh, but the art is is love the art. I, I, I think uh, I, I like Mahmoud's storytelling a lot, and um, the sequentials here are crazy strong. And and they um, they tell the story with uh, he and and Tom apparently work really well together because nothing I I, I didn't. Um, it wasn't the days of the old Claremont where, you know, it's redundant because he's going to say exactly what the character is doing in that panel. So um, I think the creative team is strong, even if I'm not sold on the team in the comic itself. Uh, but I, I, I did dig it. I will come back for the second issue because I want to see how things go. And, and because of, of um, because of what Gene wants to accomplish and she has, Kurt's support. Um, I, once you kind of sway Nightcrawler on on uh, on something, I, I, I kind of want to see where where it goes <laughs> from there. It's, it's weird. I mean, of all the of all the X Men to kind of for me to latch onto or to be, but it, I mean, if if Nightcrawler wasn't on this team, I don't know if I would really care as much as I kind of do. Um, but obviously, you know, Jean Grey is is 
a founding member of the X-Men. She's first class and, and Kurt is second. Um, so I, I kind of like the, the different generations, if you will, of, of uh, mutants on this team. And then of course you have who Marvel, Marvel likes to tout as the first mutant and as, yeah. as, as anymore. So, um, another tie to John Byrne and yeah. And, and it's, it's a, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I think the one hang up I have with it, I don't know. And, and some of that is because of, of how Bendis wrote her in, in all new, all different X-Men when, when he brought back the teenage gene, I am, I'm not sure I'm sold on Jean Grey as a leader. Um, I, I, I never really saw her as, uh, you know, invisible woman is, is strong. She, she's, she has to support the family and, and Jean is always, and, and whether it's just because of the way she was written or because of the men in her life and the way they treated her, I don't, I can't say, but I've never had a huge, strong attachment to Jean Grey. So to see her as leading this team, that's, that's a hurdle for me. So, um, we'll see how the next couple issues pan out. And, and, uh, I, I, am not, I, I like as someone who has no idea what's going on with the Marvel mutants. I, I enjoyed this issue a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. I'm, well, that's I'm, good to hear. I'm looking mm-hmm. at it right now. Mahmoud's art is super accomplished as usual. I mean, yeah. the guy's phenomenal, but I think Gene is portrayed as a little bit too young. This this Jean looks like a twenty something. Jean yeah. should be in her th- late thirties, right? Unless the from his comics, I mean, I don't know about late thirties, but right. But I mean, when if you put Scott Summers next to her, the current Scott Summers, he would look like her father. Uh, if you were alive, yeah. Um. Oh wait, Scott's dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, the one you're talking about is the young Scott Summers. The Bendis Summers is still around. Okay. Um, she just looks like a little too young for me. Maybe a little more mature. Like she looks here. She looks like she just got out of college. Mm-hmm, and and right. from everything yeah, we've read, I mean, you are right. They, 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 but I don't mind that because it's like the same thing. I mean, that's just comics, right? It's like Batman. Like, yeah. Like Batman's per, 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 perennially drawn like he's 35, right, or 30, or whatever. Okay. But um, no, I hear what you're saying. I um, I certainly no no surprise. I have a, a much I, I stuck with the X-Men through thick and lots of thin. Uh, um, but, but I was really excited about this one because, um, first let me say, I, I do fear commercially it's going to get lost in the shuffle because we already have gold, we already have blue. And I think if someone isn't really well-versed in the X-Universe, you're not getting from this first issue why this book is any more important than the other two. It's in many ways just another group of mutants and a third team. Um, so it really just comes down to: Do you have a particular interest in following the creative teams or the lineup that are in any of these given three books? Um, I hope I'm wrong, but but that is my interpretation. I, I don't think this book felt any more important, in as much as that word means anything in comics, as the other two series, um, which are not selling that well. Uh, but that said, I, I personally liked this book a lot. Um, 
I guess I didn't have the issue Dap had with Gene being a leader. Um, although he makes a good point, I guess I didn't really think about it. It didn't it didn't stand out to me one way or the other. Um, she seemed credible, and and I guess part of that for me is because I mean Kitty is is the leader of the X Men proper right now, and it's like well if Kitty can be a leader, uh, Gene can be a leader. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't mind that. I I, I think Nightcrawler is one of those characters that that if you if you like the X Men at all and you're nostalgic for the X-Men, you can't not like Nightcrawler. I think he's one of those characters that you're, you're always smart to have him in a lineup because he's going to be someone that, uh, that that nostalgic X-Men fans will be happy to see. Um, I always liked Nesno, who is gentle. Um, as Dap noted, he's he's introduced as part of the team. He's not, not really a part of the book, this first issue. Um, but I do like him as a character. I've always thought he's cool. Um, Trinary is a new character. Uh, we know nothing about her yet. So I'll pass on that. Um, but really, for me, and probably the big delta between David's affinity for this lineup and mine, is that, as you guys know, I have been consistently reading Tom's Wolverine series, where Gabby, who is uh, Honey Badger, and uh, and uh, Laura uh, Wolverine have, have are the stars of the book, and I've adored that book. I think it's been great. Um, it's much different, obviously, than than Logan Wolverine, but it's it's been a, a very fitting and worthwhile placeholder for the original character. Um, now I probably am going to lose you when I tell you that the honey badger nickname was given to Gabby by Dokken last month. So take that for what you will. I just, but I do think it's clever. I do think Tom is being clever there because a honey badger is a, it just, it conveys, you know, it's, it's part of the Wolverine family, but it's mm-hmm. smaller and cuter. I just think that's adorable. It's a great idea. Um, so I, yeah, I'm down with the lineup for sure. Um, like you said, Dap, it's it's not breaking new ground. I mean, the premise is Jean is unhappy with how much fear and hate there is for mutants, so she has rallied support from Namor and T'Challa to go to the United Nations and get support to recognize mutant kind as a nation state. Uh, I'm not sure how she did that since they don't have a nation, and it's even brought up in the meeting. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, the UN chairman says, I- "I'm empathetic to your." Plight, but you're a you're a species, not a not not a state, and and I, I I don't think Jean ever gets past that. But for some reason, they're like, okay, well, just because Shala Namor stand up and say we support her up there, like, okay, you can be recognized as a nation state. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> yeah, so I need um, two. And we had Genosha. I mean, we had Genosha for years, so I don't know why they could just had her take over Genosha. Um, but yes, for whatever reason, she is creating a nation state. Um, again, not breaking new ground. This is something. If there's a okay, uh, the fairest criticism. I think of the X-Men books is that they rehash the same four or five ideas over and over again. Mm. Um, we had Genosha, we had Utopia. We now have, uh, in one of the other X books, the Haven for mutants, uh, in, in hell, um, that like, you know, hell, like where magic can go. Um, it, it, it's, it's a very common thing, right? You, Utopia was, was floating in the sky for a while, then it was on the ocean as its own thing. Genosha was its own island. You know, so th- th- that is not new ground. The idea of creating a haven for the mutants to come together is nothing new. It's it's a little retread. I mean, if if the second arc has them going off into space and hanging out with the Shi'ar, you know, again, it's like okay, we've seen they've done that. It's like so so they need to be careful. I'd like them to to go in different directions. I think the X Men get caught into this loop of the obligatory. Let's have a time story where time shifts. Let's have a let's have a um, a, a, a dystopian future story that we're trying to save. Let's have a 
let's have a let's get all the the, the mutants together and give them um, safe haven, and then let's go on the offensive. It seems to be, and then rinse repeat. So I, I, I I'm hoping Tom has different plans than that. This first issue would argue against it, though. It would argue that he's he's trying to appeal to the nostalgia of that storyline for us, um, and it can work. I mean, we're all suckers for nostalgia, but it is not breaking too much new ground. Um, maybe the fact that Gene is the leader makes it a different story in its way, but but we're still talking about relative new ground. Now, where I think he does stick the landing, as you alluded, Dap, is the is the choice of villain. Um, I love that villain. <laughs> we haven't seen that villain in a long time, and the main time, the time that most of us would have remembered that villain, I think they were they were established, at least to my mind, as one of the best villains in X Men history. So that was that that last you know the reveal hooked me for sure to be excited about what's to come. Um, so I, I'm I'm imagining a decent amount of people will try this issue that aren't currently reading X-Men books on the regular. I am curious whether this is going to feel different or unique enough to them to make this a standout seller and the breakout book. I hope it is. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure if this book would, if I weren't an X-Men apologist who loves the X-Men and those characters in a way that many others don't, I don't know that this book would be the one that makes me think, okay, we're, this is the kind of X-Men story I haven't gotten in a long time that I need to read. Right. right. You know what I mean? You know, you talk about the, the, uh, storyline problems that have plagued the X titles for, mm-hmm. for years. Um, the recurring themes and you know where I think that started with the proliferation of titles. When it was yeah. when it was just playing X Men, Uncanny, mm-hmm. and then you know you had another title, and then pretty soon there were like ten X titles on the table. Yeah. And and I think just because they had to write so much, and 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 try for all these different mutant characters that the, the storyline started to overlap and become the same. There was a sameness to it. I, 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 I don't want to be the naysayer, but I don't see how three X-Books is going to change that. Like, I don't understand why Marvel doesn't, doesn't like write the ship and make just like one or two mm-hmm. titles. Just make them solid, but that's it. No more. No, you're not the naysayer. That's why I was trying to say. I mean, I, I think... I am rooting for this book in a huge way because I love both creators. I mean, Mahmoud, both because I love his work and we're personal friends with him. And Tom, I don't know personally at all, but I, I do really like what I've seen of him so far as a, as a writer. I am rooting for this book more than Blue or Gold, and I am reading those too, although the fact that I rarely, if I ever talk about them on the show, can I'll just leave that as it. I'll leave that there to, for you all to interpret what that means. Um, but no, I, I want this to be the standout of the books, but I'm with you, Vince. I think... It being the third, they're already being a blue and gold, which are frankly the classic, right? right team blue and team gold are a, a harken back to the Jim Lee days. Yeah. Um, it being a third colored team, and and it being kind of set up again with an, a start of a storyline that we've seen before, which is trying to save innocent mutants and give them a safe haven. Mm, you know, I I think that reads like lots of X-Men comics that have come before it. Right. And I don't know if that's putting, I don't know if it's a wow enough start to get the buzz you're going to need for this to be, to break from the pack 
after a lot of years of X-Men being what essentially relegated to niche status. Right. Right. There's, um, fingers crossed for you. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, look, I, I will say the best thing, the most encouraging thing I have going for me is that gold and blue are both in the twenties now title wise. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're going to get a, Tom's going to get his chance to tell a nice long run here. I presume Mahmoud's planning on being on the book at least for a decent while, an arc or an arc or two, I hope at least. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm again, I like the first issue for sure, but I'm also a very easy mark. Uh, I'm encouraged the fact that Dap said he's going to come back for the second issue at least. I, yeah, so that's good because you're not as easy a mark, and I didn't expect uh, you to drive in, so I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. The, yeah. the um, love and, Mahmoud, and also, but there's. No. I think the Iceman comic is still going on. There's a Rogan Gambit comic. So, I mean, even though there are so many mutants, they're still seeping out to their, to their own series. And this issue, um, I, I dug the play on with the uh, Cerebro. Cerebro. The, yeah, yeah. Cause they're, 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 their headquarters is Cerebro is, but it's spelled S E A cause they're underwater. But, um, as far as if Kitty can lead, why not Jean? Um, I think Kitty's proven herself, and and she's moved around a lot between uh, being brought up with the X Men and uh, going to England. I mean, Nightcrawler. I can understand, you know, him not wanting to be a leader anymore. But you know, I mean, even he. So Jean can have has his support, and of course. With, with Namor being a king, um, she's got she's got people she can look up to and learn from. So so there's that there. But I, I just because Kitty can lead, I don't know if that for me that I don't know if if that argument holds water. That well, why not Jean? So, but I think Kitty's a better uh, leader than Jean. Oh, I agree completely. I think, I think, I, think yeah, you're just, I just think you just uh, you're just looking out for your girl because she's part of the MOT. Oh, absolutely. There's that. Um, but I have a thing for redheads. So, you know, it's not like it's just if if, um, if Gina was in a bit. But it, it's just, no, it, it was a... Um, See, this is your Scott love coming out. Oh, because, and that's, and, and that served him so well over these years. But it's, uh, no, it's, it's, um, yeah, if, if, if I'm a uh, measuring stick in any way, shape, or form, if, if you haven't been into any of Marvel's mutants lately, then, then at least give this a shot because I mean, it, it, as a, as a, um, as a first issue, you know, it, it's, I didn't know anything that went on before. So it's not like I yeah. had this, this, yes, it, it's Jean's back because of the, the resurrection series, but it's not like this is the fallout from some major event. And because I didn't follow, you know, AVX version 8.0, I, I, I this is, you know, spinning out from that. That that is what I was a little disappointed in with this issue is that we don't get any sense from this issue that Gene's just come back from being gone for 30 years. That is, you know what I mean? There's not even like, Oh, wondering how Gene is back. See Phoenix resurrection one through five. It's, it's, Oh, well, they, (laughs) she's just, they don't give a shit about footnotes anymore. There was a, um, I mean, I, I guess the thing that like, I, I know we're, we're very numb. In fact, we even joked about it earlier on the show tonight about characters, being killed off and being brought back, I get it. But much like when, like Captain Marvel, or I mean, Gene dying, most X Men writers have said is sacred. 
and 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 most said we're never bringing her back, at least in that form, right? Then they cheated by bringing young Jean back, right? I mean, it's like Jean, but not really Jean. Uh-huh. Now they're bringing the real Jean back, and she's back. And I would have, I wish they would have made a bigger deal about it. I, again, they did put out a five issue miniseries, but it was a five week series with rushed art and virtually no storyline. It's a pure MacGuffin. It's literally a cosmic diner where she's living and Wolverine goes in and cuts Annie's throat to show Jean that it's an illusion and it wakes Jean up and then Jean's like, Phoenix, get out of here. And he's like, Phoenix is like, okay. I mean, that's, that's very, that's very much what that's. How in the heck does Wolverine get into a cosmic diner? Jean lets him in as a customer, like customers come and go that are (laughs) with, is is he there physically or is he there in in it's not, yeah, mentally? It's, it's a, like it's, like a thought form. Yeah, it's it's never neither here nor there. I wow, guess, it sounds terrible. It was terrible. It sounds it terrible. terrible. It really does. It was also terrible in the sense that if you're going to bring Jean Grey, bring Jean Grey back, make it a big effing deal. Sure, right. Last time we used like, the Fantastic Four. Or or yeah, I mean, if, I mean to your point, you've got. Well, Sonic X Men's its own thing, and it, but as soon as it's gone, the better. Um, but you've got X Men Gold and X Men Blue, which are in the have been going on for well over a year and a half now. Make those books the right. I mean, make a little mini X Men event, the Return of Jean Grey. Right? There's a Jean Grey book right now, a comic for with the with the young Jean Grey as the star, mm-hmm. which was loosely, as I understand, tied to this, although. I didn't read the issues tied to it, but I do think there were they were there were some coincident things going on in that book as, as well. But make it an X Men wide event, or or put out, you know what I'm saying? Like like there was no hype about it, right? No nobody. If you weren't a hardcore X Men fan, you didn't even notice that that series came out, and that's ridiculous because any longtime Marvel fan should know and should be aware that Jean Grey's been dead for a long time. And that her coming back is should be a big deal, yeah. just like Bucky coming back, right? Like compare this to how Bucky came back, which was a layered, slow build, carefully crafted story that made sense and was so good that a lot of people that would normally have been pissed off on the principle of bringing Bucky back had to tip their cap and say, you know what, props to you, uh, mm-hmm. you, you and you, and done in I, one I, title I by the way, do, right? I didn't want you to do it, but it, you, you did it well enough that I'm with you. And and never that that should have been what happened here, right? I but, I agree with you. Yeah, but but enough of that. I, I I'm I'm glad Boo's going to give it a second issue. Um, I, I'd buy it just for the art because Mahmoud's the man. But uh, he is but, the man. Yeah. Did I'll, you uh, ask him what is what, what pages are still available? <laughs> I I mean I assume they're all available. I, I am, as you know, I'm preparing for a an art foray in a few weeks that is keeping me from looking at other art. A few weeks? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I guess I was left out of the loop. It's okay. No, you, well, you, you were, were here. Probably busy. Okay. All right. Can I, t- I want to talk about something that's not terrible. As long as it's not the last. We haven't talked about terrible yet. We just talked about I things don't... that annoyed us a little bit. Right. Uh, as long as it's not the last item on your list. Yes, go for it. It's not the last item on my list. Um, and and I want to talk about this in in some detail, and then later on I got a bunch of fast blasts. I got to get through this stack because I've been letting these books build up. I want to talk about them quickly. Some of which you both have read. 
So maybe we can I'm just... I'm looking at this list. I don't think I've read any of these but one. You've read Slots? Yes, that's the one. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm an issue. Two. You're an issue what? No, I'm an issue or two behind on oh, but, Slots. Yeah. And there's one other thing on your list that I am almost current on. Okay. Well, Go Fast Blast. It. Fast Blast, right? Bang, bang, bang. Come on. Come on. So um, this is from Boom. Uh, it was written by David F. Walker, illustrated by the awesome Chris Mooneyham. Oh, oh my. I know what this is. Yeah, he's, he is so amazing. Um, I, I flipped through this. It looks great. He's the most Bronze Age looking artist currently working. For real. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Got a dope uh, cape, cable and domino commission from him. Nice. Uh, and color art by Jason Wardy. It is Planet of the Apes, Ursus, mm -hmm. number one. First Ursus. And it's so cool because it incorporates continuity, not only from the original film, but mm -hmm. from the boom continuity that they've established oh, with, with like Betrayal and, and all those books. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it takes place not long after the Icarus crashes. In the original Planet of the Apes film, Taylor... Dodge, Lando, boom, we're on this planet. Okay, which is really Earth. Um, so Taylor and Landon and Dodge are pursued by the apes. Dodge is shot and killed. Of course, you got to kill the black man. And um, after the dust settles on the gorilla's pest control, there's this grunt, and his name is Orip. And he's like, he's looking at Dodge. He's like, wait a minute, that animal does not look like the other animals that animal's different his skin is darker so he remembers he recalls what general ursus had said that if you see an animal any any animal that looks different to you that stands out in any way please notify your superior and they'll get back to me and thank you very much so um he goes to his commanding officer and that the Officer's name is Sergeant Munch. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Sergeant Munch it that is. harkens to the uh, Munch uh, stint on Terror of the Planet of the Apes. On the Planet of the Apes. Um, and they, the word gets back to um, General Ursus that there's a weird-looking human. See, Ape City's not in a good spot. When this series starts, their their crops are being stripped by the humans. You've you've seen it in the movies. The humans go into the cornfield and they're picking the stuff and they're they're eating the corn or the you know they're 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 ravaging. They're they're the the ape equivalent of a blight, a pest, and and they they must be eliminated because the there's currently a, a food shortage in Ape City. Um. Problem is, there's not enough farmers to tend to the land, one, and B, there's not enough land to farm. A the Ape City must expand. In order to do that, you need soldiers. And um, Ursus gets all pissed off because the, the, the council drafts this proposition to take the soldiers and make them farm the land. And Ursus is like, what in the hell are you talking about? How can we expand? How can we stop these animals from chomping on our 
our our food if we don't have any soldiers and and so they're at odds and and see the the whole thing goes back to uh, there's a flashback sequence that's brilliantly illustrated by Mooneyham. he uses some kind of textured paper it it looks like a uh, a uh, charcoal type paper or maybe a pastel paper where it's got a tooth to it and there's a noticeable grain to it where he illustrates this fast bat, fat flashback sequence where Ursus is a boy and and he's he's traveling with his father um and they stop at this let's call it a a project uh terminus where humans are thrown into a, a ring and they're made to fight to the death for the sport of the 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 apes and uh ursus's father is like this is not along the lines of what the lawgiver had laid down this is bad this is it, it's it's just not right but i mean he he keeps in step because you know if you step out of line in in ape city you you're you're smacked down because you it's it's all you know just keeping the peace and um uh, ursus is is there he's a little child and and these humans are beating the crap out of each other and it's very very bloody and it's their fights to the death it's not just a you know three count and, you, and the fight's over it's a fight to extinguish the life of your opponent and it's savage it's brutal and ursus doesn't know what to think and he looks into a cage and there's a young black boy and and he's he's peering at him with these haunting hate-filled eyes and 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 that moment never left ursus so uh the the sight of a black animal it just triggers the you know the wayback machine but it's a cool first issue because ursus is is cast in a sympathetic light i mean we've seen him in the movie he was you know human bad must kill but in this they they add a layer see he lives alone and being a general he's he's afforded a staff to tend to him but he doesn't want them he j he wants to live a solitary existence because he's haunted by another ghost ursus had a mate kwama and she, he touches a photo of her lovingly so we're either to believe she's dead somehow or she's not in the picture anymore but i mean it's safe to mm -hmm. assume that she's somehow expired um and the the main thing is as as brutal and as barbaric as ursus is he's completely correct in everything he proposes in this issue if if you had a society and you had um a food source that was being ravaged by something whether it be bugs or animals you know we would take steps to extinguish that threat we would put pesticides on it to kill the the bugs or we would actively eliminate the animals that's what we do but 
we find it unsettling because the animals in this case are humans. But Ursus mm-hmm. is completely correct in in his desire to maintain the status quo by keeping the 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 military on active duty and and shooting the shit out of these humans because they're eating the crops. It's it's very disturbing to think about it, but in his shoes, in in their shoes, that would be the correct approach. You eliminate the pest. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, but the the shit slides south when the High Council draft this proposal to turn Ursus's soldiers into farmers. Um, and at the very end of the issue, I will spoil it because you should read this miniseries or this series. I believe it's a miniseries. And um, because it's awesome. Last page, uh, Ursus is brought into the pens by uh, the grunt. And he's like, you need to see something. And he's like, what? No, no, no. You really need to see something because you're not going to freaking believe this. So he, they go into the the pens and it's just like in the first movie, except it's not Taylor this time. It's Lando. Uh, Landon, sorry. Star Wars is hard to shake. It's <laughs> it's Landon, and um, he's doing the old damn dirty ape thing. You know, he's rattling the bars and he's speaking. And Ursus is like, "Oh fuck, a, mm-hmm. a, a talking animal." You know, just what they need. It, I number one, as Jason is a mark with the X Men, I am a super mark with the Planet of the Apes stuff. There's yeah. there's not a series that that goes by that I don't read and and enjoy and this is no different i thought this issue was brilliant the cover by paulo rivera did you see it mm-hmm. yes with the humans in the cage and it's in the it's in uh, uh ursus's headgear oh my god that's an amazing cover um it's just this is a win and and i i like what they're doing with uh kong on the planet of the apes with um um, what the hell is his name? I'm being a jerk now. Manio, yes, Carlo Manio. It's just amazing oh, yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. The the boom has been doing right by Planet of the Apes for a long time. Hardman and and Karina um, worked on it and did fantastic things. This is no different. So if you are as enamored with the Planet of the Apes as I am, why aren't you reading this? It's phenomenal. <laughs> Planet of the Apes, Ursus, number one. You should. You should really get on it. Mooneyham is, is he's one of those um, artist artists, I think, that um, not a huge name in comics, unfortunately. Uh, Judge Dredd versus Predator versus Aliens. Mm-hmm. He uh, did Five the Ghosts. Five Ghosts. Five yeah, Ghosts, and yeah. they all look spectacular, but not not a, a, a name that, pricks up ears would and that's a crime because he should be because he takes yeah. the best of like Sal Basima mm-hmm. and and even John like a gritty, it's a gritty Bushima look yeah a little bit of John and a inspired Klaus Janssen mm-hmm. not not the Klaus that we've seen on the Punisher who really you know couldn't care what he was thinking um a, a Klaus that that is actually engaged to the project you know what i mean yeah uh it's yeah. just phenomenal stuff so awesome. so take it away 
And then I'll be uh, coming back with. I got a huge stack here. You coming around? Huge. Speak on it, Dap. Okay. Um, I have two things that are in progress. Um, they have not wrapped up yet, but I've been enjoying them, and I don't want to really kind of wait until they do. Um, and go long and hard that way. So this is... Um, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, first up, from Marvel, is a series that is currently written by Max Bemis. Art is by Jason Burroughs. And it is Moon Knight. It is post... Um, Warren Ellis and Brian Wood and Jeff Lemire, Moon Knight, but it picks up where they had uh, they brought the character. Um, the first issue, one eighty eight, there isn't a whole hell of a lot of Mark Spector or any of his personalities. It's mostly um, a focuses on the Doctor who was um, who works at the institution where Mark was. Um, and there is a, is, is, um, you're breaking up something fierce. Well, who's you're, you're all in tatters. I can hear. Hmm. On my, on my end, it's got that cyber voice where you sound like you're being filtered through a a, a a ginsu chop 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 weird yeah crazy weird all right if you could just um say what you just said i think it was because jason sent an image oh, i would i would me, i would refrain from doing that again blame me why don't you but I'm sorry. well you did it through you did it through this the slack the skype which it's is not a good photo. idea i mean it's i know i know <laughs> Let's cut that I mean, we all have broadband. As awesome, as, as awesome as Skype is. We all have broadband for the record, but... It's not his fault. Nope. Let me reboot AOL. So, um, <laughs> patient 86 is in the, uh, in the hospital that uh, Mark Spector was uh, being treated in. He, is, uh, he has burns on his hands, and the doctor thinks that she'll be able to treat him in a way similar to um, the way Spectre was treated. But something kind of uh, triggers in my man, and he basically becomes uh, Ra, the sun god. So he leaves the hospital and um, is basically going to now look for him. So 189 is kind of where... 188 is almost like a prelude to to maybe something coming up. Um, 189, 90, and 91 is... is 191 is what I'm up to. Um, what's cool about this is that you actually see Mark Spector kind of in Central Park and an old woman will be walking by with her dog and then he'll just start as if he's got Tourette's he'll just start blurting shit out because he's arguing with himself and then you just see the woman run away uh, in the background but um, 
Mark lives in a really crappy hotel um, or apartment, and he'll he'll wake up so he can. We just lost Jason. Uh, he'll wake up and go about his day as Stephen Grant. So he kind of basically just lives life as Stephen Grant and Mark Spector. Um, Jake is kind of really pushed down inside. They don't, they don't call on Jake too often because Jake is the worst of the three. Um, but what's neat is that because they never know what each of the personalities are really doing, um, Jake has kind of been doing something on the side, which we find out um, in this run. And, and it's it's kind of... Uh, how attached are you to Moon Knight, Vince? Oh, that's a difficult question to answer. Can I, can I spoil something that might be pretty... It might, see, it's hard to say. I thought it was pretty neat, but for some people... Um, they might find it kind of odd, but it turns out that Jake has been uh, seeing Marlene on the side. And Jake is the father of her child. What? Yeah. So, um, and while all this is going on, uh, the sun God shows up with the Bushmaster and they are, um, they're going to fight. Um, Mark Spector, and there's uh, it's 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 kind of it's it's a warped, crazy kind of read. It's it's not um, it's way way different than the uh, the Moon Knights we've been reading uh, from Jeff and company. This is more uh, on the action pack side of things. It's um. And what's interesting, though, is because I remember the art, the interview with Bill Sienkiewicz, where he mentions that um, Moon Knight is basically dressed in black leather. It's just the moonlight reflects and makes it look like it's white. But in here, uh, Conchu actually says that Mark Spector dresses up in white and fights in my name. So I'm guessing they've kind of just accepted the fact that because he looks like he's wearing white, we're just going to say, my man dresses in white but um the art by burroughs it's i mean it, it looks like jason burroughs art it, it it very much um some of the, the there's not a lot going on as far as backgrounds go um you you, you kind of get wide-eyed expressions when when people are are talking to one another um it's it fits this particular story it it's um But it's still, it's not as it's not as detailed or as um, as packed as as some of the other things we've been reading recently. But it's a um, it's it's a little part of it to some degree feels a little bit like Garth's Punisher in some places, uh, especially where where the crazies are involved. Um, but you get you get a little bit of um, conscious point of view. 
you really don't get too many you don't get any internal monologues from from Mark or any of his personalities. It's it's you just when they're speaking, whichever one is present, uh, that's what you get. But everybody else, you kind of get um, any caption boxes are, are basically what 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 they're thinking about doing. You don't you you, you do not know what's going on inside uh, Mark Spector's head. It's only what whatever you you see is shown on the page or whatever they say out loud. Um, which is neat in that regard, because for the most part, any comic book you're reading with a hero is, is if, if whatever they're thinking about, you're going to be able to read that as well. And, and you definitely don't get that here. Um, Wait, is, so is figured, that Cthulhu in one ninety one? There is an image of Cthulhu. Yes. What the hell? It's just a, um, it's oh yeah, and, and at the end of one ninety one, Frenchie comes back, but we don't talk about that. Um, oh, he even says, you know, don't, don't give me any of that Cthulhu bullshit. Um, oh, so it was he, the guys he, that Kanchu was taking. He um, no, no, it's just, Kanchu just just brought him forth and and just I, I guess to prove a point. But um, <laughs> and there's this character called Truth, who uh, who is. Just he'll, yes, he'll he 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 kind of um, I'll say invades your thoughts and and you um, you kind of just say whatever's on your mind more or less. It's 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 that's really shortchanging it, but he is just a, a very imposing looking dude. But there is um, yeah, it's I, I I've given each new take on Moon Knight a shot and, and I've enjoyed them. Um everybody okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the um I thought it, it was is I didn't think I, I read one eighty eight and I says, okay, well I, I hopefully we can pick things up a bit and then and, and, uh, and we did with one eighty nine. So now I kinda wanna see how this story wraps up how this particular arc wraps up but it's um it's it's a it's a different take as we've seen on on moon knight in recent years it's not uh i mean moon knight's always been on the crazy side of things going way back when so um that's not new this is just a a, a kind of a different take on it the other thing that um i'm catching up on uh issue 38 came out today. So I was able to read that before tonight. Uh, I mentioned last week, I think it was my new travels. This is justice league written by priest and art. The first three parts of the story so far, uh, by Pete Woods, who did, uh, pencil zinks and colors, uh, Phil Briones on art with, um, Gabriel, Eltab on colors and the latest issue 38 is illustrated by Marco Santucci um, and Alex Salazzo as your um, as your colors. This is people versus the Justice League. Um, Batman has Batman's done slipped up and 
mm-hmm. he, he should have, uh, should have kept his eye on the ball. He didn't. And, um, something bad happened. So he's kicking himself for that. Uh, but it's causing some friction in the team because he's, he is the team leader. He's, he's, he's the chairman. Uh, so the rest of the team wants Superman to talk to him because he's the closest that uh, Batman they feel has, has a, uh, as an equal or a friend. But, um, the, the team consists of Superman, Batman, Flash, uh, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and the Green Lanterns. And, um, I decided to give this a shot for Priest. I'm still not really super sold on on this team. Uh, the Cyborg kind of makes a point to say that you know he was a founding member of this team, which I still don't see. And and at one point, uh-huh. um, there's a uh, there's a conversation where Superman tells Simon the green lantern that uh, they should do lunch and that that that's in the back of his head it's 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 really wigging him out because you know who why would superman say let's do lunch to you know just of of all the members there you know is he going to lunch with anybody else and um he goes you know it's like it's like you have the big three and wonder woman's like what the hell's the big three he goes well it's like it's you guys it's it's you it's batman it's him he goes and then and then there's the flash it's like you four and then there's the rest of us. We're like, you know, we're 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 the and the rest. If if you were to see us in in a movie, and and it's and and Aquaman's standing right there, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not following you, dude. And what's weird though is that through throughout the entire run or the entire arc, Aquaman's wearing his usual outfit, and then in issue 38, he's wearing the blue camouflage. I don't know where the hell that came from. I don't know <laughs> why. All of a sudden, he was wearing that. I mean, I love that outfit, but I, that was weird. Uh, and the um, there is someone who is basically the Justice League's biggest fan, and he is um, he's killing bad guys. The first, not really bad guys. He's it's he kills a um, a congresswoman because she's on a committee, basically. Um, kind of sort of bring charges against the justice league. They, she wants them to answer for their actions. And, um, because she's giving the justice league a hard time, this fan decides to, um, do something about it, but he dresses up as Batman. And, uh, which of course is going to make Batman look good. So the, the way priest had set up it, it turned it into a mystery and, and, and they kind of have to figure out who, who this fan is, who this lunatic is. Uh, and they do, but while that's going on they're um, they can't, they haven't found him. And because he has access to, or the, this person spoilers, he, he was one of the technicians, one of the, um, one of the workers who helped, build i believe he worked for LexCorp, but he he helped build the watchtower he helped build the satellite so he knew the ins and outs and um they can't use the teleporter because 
he had already used the teleporter against them and sent them to different places around the world. Uh, so they can't rely on that anymore. And it's just the way priest testing is kind of falling apart around the team is, is pretty interesting. And, and, uh, Batman kind of has to take a break. Uh, this, I don't know. It's weird. I, I'm normally, I'm absolutely fine with team books and the characters on the team, especially if they have their own book, because, you know, something can happen in an issue of Justice League, and it doesn't mean that, you know, how can they also, how can Aquaman also be fighting Ocean Master in his book if that doesn't, and people are always looking to, to make sure the timelines line up, and it's, things can happen at different times throughout the week, so I'm not, I'm not so worried about people, but there are things that happen in this book that kind of contradict what Tom's doing in Batman, more or less. Well, from uh, what, not to interject, but from what you're saying about Aquaman, since I've been reading that regularly, you know, as you know from my reviews of it, Aquaman for over a year now has been in hiding, living as a peasant at the bottom of Atlantis to foment a revolution because he was deposed as king. So I don't know that he'd be having time to... And he's trapped under a magic dome that all of Atlantis is trapped under. So I don't know how he would be able ah, to yeah, so get off from the dome into being in the Justice League right now. But So I'm going to say then that this takes place long before that happened to Aquaman and yeah, probably. Bruce proposed to Selena. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm guessing it also... Yeah, it's it's so I'm I'm kind of just taking this as as a standalone Justice League story, it, just like I would back in the day, because they 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 could be kind of timeless and whatever the hell's going on in everybody else's book, so be it. But um, yeah, it's the, the woods art I thought was really cool. The uh, Briona's art was it wasn't woods, but it was still um, it looked good, which I've seen good and bad phil art uh the santucci starts off cool but then it kind of um slips a bit as the issue goes on but it's it's a i I, priest definitely has a a way of writing certain characters and and I, i dig his batman his flash his barry allen is is clever and witty and funny um the cyborg's got a stick up his butt for some reason, and and I'm sure it's it's um it's valid and may make sense if if I've been following the team, but um I'm still not really sold on on the two Green Lanterns. But this was a um as of now without the the run without the arc ending, uh, it's been a um. It's been entertaining. I, I, I'm glad I gave it a shot because it's been a long time since um, I did try out the Justice League of America that that started last year or so with uh, by Steve Orlando. But this was um, I, I can't. It's weird. I, I can't stay away from the Justice League for too long. So uh, we'll see what happens. I believe. Well, I think what Snyder's coming on eventually maybe after this arc or mm-hmm. soon but um you know i'm i'm uh i'm dry I, it's 
if we, we again not breaking new ground here with with the people versus storyline, but um, seeing why people would go up against or people would feel outraged towards the Justice League is um, is the interesting thing. You could have any number of reasons why. I mean, it could be mind control. It could be you know somebody killed as collateral damage. So. Um, I tend to be interested in seeing how these types of stories start and, and seeing how they, uh, how they come back around to, to make amends and clean things up and put everything back to where it belonged. But no, it, it's, it's been interesting. So yeah, those are two things that I've been reading for the past week or so. And, uh, that haven't finished yet. Not exactly a new segment, but there you go good enough what for sure yeah for sure jason you got anything i got a million things well make with it um well i'll do a quick hit uh of a, of a little lengthy catch up uh avengers has been doing this weekly um joint right now uh, i think it's 16 parts right that by the time it's over right no surrender Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't, but I realized in wanting to jump into that, because a few people have said it's pretty darn good, um, I was very behind on Avengers, which is very unusual for me, but just wasn't really feeling it post or pre and post the whole, uh, you know, Hydra Cap stuff and all that. And um, But anyway, I went back and I read Avengers 1 through 11, 672 through 674, which, for those wondering, it went from 11 to 672. They went when they went back to the quote unquote old, old numbering, uh, and in conjunction with all that, champions 13 through 16, um, because there was a crossover. So, um, all of that, all of those books were written by Mark Wade. Um, some may recall that when Wade took over Avengers in the prior run to the one through 11, he tried to have the best of both worlds by having a mix of older classic veteran Avengers, as well as three new members, which were Kamala Khan, AKA Ms. Marvel, um, the new Nova and, um, um, who am I forgetting? Uh, Uh, Spider-Man. And Spider-Man, yes, thank you, Miles Morales. Um, And it didn't resonate with people, so he split the books apart and kept writing them, and so he formed Champions, which has been, uh, if not exclusively, primarily drawn by Umberto Ramos, uh, and that is a team of youthful heroes, which I'm always down for. And then he relaunched the Avengers book with the same members plus a few more uh, of the veteran team, um, and to try and tell two different stories. So the best thing I'll say about the Avengers books is that for about 80% of the issues, he had the amazing talents of Mike Del Mundo at his disposal. Um, Del Mundo's art in this Avengers run is awe-inspiring. And I am glad to have caught up on, what is that, 15 issues just to have seen all of that Del Mundo art um, 
putting aside that I don't think the story was anything that great. Um, in, in keeping with one of the, the subtle themes of tonight, which is the risk that storytellers fall in with some of these characters and telling tried and true storylines over and over again, um, Wade, for like the third time in his time writing The Avengers, has them doing battle with Kang. And I'm down for some Kang, don't get me wrong, but like Wade's got to get over the Kang thing because it dragged on and on and on. Um, but the good news is it's saved by Del Mundo's paint, painting because dude just had a blast zipping through ancient Egypt into the far-flung future, uh, shifting timelines back and forth, having different Kangs or versions of Kangs like the Red Centurion and Rama Tut fighting with each other. So um, love the visuals story. Okay. Essentially the Avengers, well, mainly the vision gets the idea because they're tired of dealing with Kang to essentially it's a play on the idea of if you could have killed Hitler as a baby, would you? So he goes and he captures Kang the baby and steals him and puts him somewhere uh, out of the time stream so that nobody can find him. Um, but it doesn't work because Kang has the ability to go through time. So uh, dozens upon dozens of Kangs in different time periods start going after him, trying to find the baby, get him back um, to no avail. Eventually, Kang decides, all right, two can play that game. So Kang goes through the time stream and kills all of the Avengers uh, when they were first being born as well. So they're fading out of existence, and it's a race to see who can uh, write the time stream. And essentially, it's... Uh, eventually what comes down to is they have to agree to put baby Kang back where they found them, essentially. Um, again, not a very memorable story in the pantheon of Avengers stories, but the Del Mundo art does make it more than palatable. Um, there is a unfortunate intermission for the Hydra stuff um, where we focus on a team of the, uh, the Cap- Caps Avengers, the Hydra Avengers, um, it's neither here nor there. Again, it's especially you know, there's nothing worse than reading a tie-in book like months after the event that you didn't really care for in the first place. Mm. It just feels like a chore. Um, and felt really out of place. It just it just goes from the current storyline into that storyline, which has nothing to do with the exi- and then jumps back. Um, but where I do think it picks up, and and why I wanted to bring it up is once we start six seventy two, the new numbering it begins a crossover with the champions. Where uh, again, which what Wade writes both books, where um, they haven't really dealt with each other since they had the split, which which was the cause of the formation of the champions, and they are pulled together because of an event that is a satellite had been sent out uh, to go to the other side of the sun, and longtime Marvel readers know that there is a, uh, a certain celestial body that is in synchronous orbit with our earth uh, on the other side of the sun. And that of course is counter earth. And these days in continuity, counter earth is run by the high evolutionary. Um, So they're pulled into an adventure with the high evolutionary where uh, he has decided uh, because as he's wont to do, he's always about tearing things down and rebuilding them in better ways. He decides that he wants to destroy the Earth and Counter-Earth by having them slam into one another, uh, creating an entirely new um, 
planet, planetary body. And then in the process, of course, would wipe out everything that's alive on both Earths, except for him because he's immortal. Um, so needless to say, both some denizens of Counter-Earth and the Earth heroes who are made aware of this are all incentivized to stop him. And so it is a battle of the High Evolutionary and his Animen versus the Champions and the Avengers. And it's a lot of fun. Um, Ramos is great on Champions. I think his art is perfect for kids, a book with kids. Uh, I think Del Mundo's art is terrific uh, on the Avengers. And so I think they complement each other well, even though their styles are a bit different. Uh, I think that... Um, and then there's a third artist, Jesus Saez, is, is part of the book as well, on the Avenger side. But uh, but either way, it was a, a good crossover. It kept tight. There were lots of there were there were secondary and tertiary stories which uh, gave the book depth. Um, one of the members of the Champions is Viv Vision, uh, created by Mr. Tom King, and the Vision is a member of the Avengers. And the Vision essentially gave himself a lobotomy. Um, long time. Marvel fans know that that's not the first time he's done that. He did that uh, after he and Scarlet Witch had their um, marriage breakup and 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 realized that she that their kids were a figment of her imagination. Uh, he kind of gave himself a lobotomy and became just very robotic and was all white. Uh, he looks the same now. He doesn't, he doesn't hasn't changed his look, but he essentially took away his emotions. And he did that if you read the Vision book. Um, and if you haven't, I recommend you pick up the, uh, the the beautiful new oversized hardcover that was released a week or two ago. Um, but, um, Viv's, uh, not Viv's, uh, the Vision's wife and son die. Spoilers, I guess. Um, although we did talk about it at the time when the book came out. Um, leaving him with, essentially, he wants to be closed off because the emotions are too hard to handle. Uh, and that leaves Viv in a weird place because Viv, created by the Vision, is an emotional teenager. Um, yes, she's an android, but, but she's got all the raw emotions and, and emotional equivalent of, of a, of a teenager and the raging hormones. And she's having trouble dealing with the loss of her family. Um, and she doesn't have her dad to lean on. Her dad is essentially comes down on her in a very harsh way. Like a team leader doesn't have a very fatherly relationship with her. And there's a strain there. And Wade does a good job playing off of that. He does a great job. Uh, Hercules is on um, his Avengers. And um, I think he does a great job with Hercules in terms of, the characterization, making him fun, loving and over the top and full of bravado. And he pays homage to uh, Amadeus and Hercules team up. And, and of course we know from the incredible Hercules series um, with Greg Pak that, that that was a, a fun run where they were partners in crime and, and they, they Wade recognizes that and they're kind of reminiscing about the getting the, you know, getting back together and, and uh, getting back to the glory days and, um, so th- there's a lot of, of cool character work. I think, um, Wade does a good job with the teenagers. Uh, I think that, uh, better than most, frankly, I think his miles is cool. I think he does a nice job of portraying Kamala as the more mature voice of reason among the, among the group. Um, so all in all, I thought that the, the crossover was, was darn terrific. It was a quick read. It looked great on both sides. Um, I like the high evolutionary. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen a high evolutionary story and we get introduced to wait for it. The higher evolutionary. <laughs> Essentially the high evolutionary is getting tired of creating animen, So he clones and evolves a piece of himself 
into what is essentially his cloned child, who is a bigger, more sleek version of himself called the Higher Evolutionary, um, who, at least in this story, is a protagonist. So dig that idea very much. And the reveal, if you will, of that crossover, which made the rounds in the comic comics uh, news sites and whatnot, was that uh, Viv dies. She sacrifices herself to save the Earth and Counter-Earth from exploding and ramming into each other. Um, but that is a very short-lived death. She, in fact, doesn't die. She's, she's shunted off into... Um, another reality where the high evolutionary is also at, uh, at this point, because it appeared that he had been disintegrated as well. And so he's trying to manipulate her and her power set to get them back to earth. But meanwhile, vision has no idea that she's still alive in another dimension and, uh, goes about recreating her because he can't bear to lose his last family member. So upon her return, there are now two Viv visions. There's the Viv Vision, who is the pure android that we've seen before, but was newly created, a second version. And then there's this Viv Vision, which I should have mentioned. When they're um, dealing with the High Evolutionary, he captures Sam and Viv Vision early in the crossover, and he's getting ready to experiment on both. He was going to mutate Sam and give him real wings, although he doesn't ever get to do that. But he does screw around with Viv, and he turns Viv, essentially a Pinocchio story, he makes Viv into a real girl. Uh, so when she comes back from this dimension, there are now two vivisions. There's the human flesh and blood vivision, and there is the new, the newly created second android vivision. And there, you know, there's, it's a strange dynamic so much so that in champion 16, the android vivision is trying to process how she can make her dad happy because she's not. And she overhears him having a conversation. And so she interprets that as what he really wants is there to be one true Viv back. So one can conclude that she's interpreted that as meaning that she needs to kill her sister because he only wants one vision, one Viv. Um, but yeah, all in all, totally great. I don't know that we've talked about champions very much um, at after all, really. Started now. Yeah, and 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 it's it's been very good, um, more consistent and enjoyable on my end than than his Avengers run. Um, but I do think that 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 crossover is worth folks' attention. Um, it's it's a totally standalone. I, I wouldn't feel any. Re- There's nothing stopping you from reading uh, Avengers six seventy two three and four and champions 13 through 16 without having read anything in those titles that came before it. I, I don't think you're, you'd be lost at all uh, in terms of, of the, the arc. I think it's perfectly uh, standalone. Um, you, you'd get more out of it. Sure. If you have the background of these characters interaction with each other, but you certainly don't need it. And then what comes after that is the no surrender stuff, which uh, I think we're eight or nine issues into the 16 issues, but I, I've just now caught up to that. So I have no, I can't speak on I can't speak on it until until uh, a couple weeks from now when I when I read all of that. But uh, but yeah, but thumbs up, thumbs up. I think Wade's Avengers is it's it seems like it's been more ignored and or panned than praised. Um, and I I can't say that's unfair because he probably is is also coming off a very tough 
act to follow after that super long Hickman run and all that. But um, you had the long Bendis run, you had the long Hickman run, and then it's it's the Avengers has kind of bounced around. So I'd love for them to put someone on Avengers, you know, whether it be Jason Aaron or someone else that can can bring it back to prominence, much like uh, we were talking about bringing Superman back to prominence. I, I think it's high time the Avengers gets back brought to the forefront because I think the Marvel Universe is always a better place when the Avengers is an important book. Uh, and it's been a long time since it's been a must-read book. But uh, but I do think it's probably been unfairly ignored, um, especially on the art side. So two big thumbs up for Champions and like three-quarters of a thumb up for Avengers. Sounds like fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, Del Mundo, right? You got to... I mean, Vince, you yeah. Del, Del Mundo is a beast. I mean, if, if you had just put like, you know... Average artist A, because I don't want to blow anybody up, on these same Avenger stories, they'd, it'd be shite. It would have been just totally forgettable. Del Mundo makes them, he saves them and, and probably elevates them into into worth reading, regardless of whether it's yet another Kang story. Sure. Know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Speed round. Go. Okay. This book, if Maestro's was not the jaw-droppingly amazing book that it is, this book would have made my list for uh, favorite new series. But it would have been my choice, I think, for favorite new series. It's uh, from mm. Image. Mm. Yeah, written, yeah. written. What? I'm, I'm, I'm an issue two away from catching up to you. Well, that's okay. I won't. I won't go deep. Good. Written by Simon Spurrier. Uh, art by Casper Wingard. Jim Campbell does the letters. It is angelic. Is that what you thought I was going to say? Oh, I knew that was what you were going to say. Oh, okay. Um, I don't like organized religion. I don't like talking about Wait, what? I don't like organized religion. I don't like Wait, talking about organized are, religion. Are you, are you serious? Yeah, I don't. But I like to it's read. Fine. I like to read about it. I like to. to you just like talking about more professional football or organized religion. Professional football. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I figured. figured um, but Dick. no, religion is a, is <laughs> is a very sticky subject with me. Um, but, uh, oddly enough, I do like to read about it and I do like to ponder the possibilities and, uh, I do love allegory and, and what angelic is, is an allegory with animals, uh, about religion that very much mirrors what's going on in, in our current, uh, the current state of humanity. There are, um... Well, we went over the the first issue when it came out. You have Cora, who's a a monkey, a flying monkey with wings, and she um, she's forced into a marriage with uh, this nasty ass monkey called Alpha. And the the monkeys worship the maker, and they think they got it all figured out. I mean, um, they have their dogma and their ritual and, and there are certain things you can't do because the makers would, would be offended. And then there's the mans, which are our manatees and they have, they have their own little God, which is called a, and, and he's an artificial intelligence. But the thing I love the best 
about this book is all of these different life forms think they got it all sussed out and no one knows a goddamn thing. No one is right. No one knows what God is or what God wants. And I pretty much think that's the way it is here. We have a bunch of different belief systems that everyone thinks they got it all figured out. No one knows a damn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, Dap, with issue five, you get some much-needed backstory onto why all these animals have been augmented, let's just say, the purpose behind their augmentation. So you, you get a nice layer that everything built is, is built upon, and it, and it works really well for me. It's not anything out of imagination. Like, you can probably guess why these animals have been have been tweaked but it's a cool story um but most of it for me the selling point is the 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 religious aspect of it all these clueless beings running around thinking they know the score and they don't they don't know anything um so that's angelic you should read that or else you're a lunatic well no um i also read That is, not to interrupt, but I'm going to. You're good. That is, as as much as I enjoy the different species, um, it's the, uh, it's the mangling or repurposing of, of the words of, of of our language because it's you're not a lunatic you're a lunatic you're yes. and it, it, it Two took words. me until the second or third issue that um alpha is the alpha because he actually calls the other dude beta and mm-hmm. and it it's just um just lots yeah, of wordplay yeah and and obedient and, obedience and my favorite obedience that's yeah. that that's a great one they're just i i i love the uh the tweaks that that Spurrier has just because you're are yeah, I mean you're you're it's it's a strange new world and and it's past whatever we've accomplished and and what's left after whatever we've accomplished so yeah I I, I you're right please it, it's super good and Wingard's art is very different from what you see in most mainstream books. Very stylized, very graphic. The colors are amazing, and they're so muted that it's it just works really well. Um, I also read issue four of Hack Slash Resurrection. Now, this is the image oh. book. You don't read this, do you? No. Okay. Um, you know, Hack Slash comes and goes. Seely will, will, will do it for a spell, and then, you know, now he'll offer it up to someone else to, to bring it back. And this is written by uh, Teeny Howard, and the art's by Salor, colors by K. Michael Russell, and Crank does the letters, who must be chained to his computer and or drawing board. Um, but the, the cool thing about this is, usually, you know, with these long-running properties, Big doings don't usually happen. 
right? You get a miniseries sure. and it maintains the status quo and, and yeah, fine. And then we'll, you know, we'll put Cassie and Vlad against someone else and it'll be fun. Like the, the, the hack slash Vampirella thing that's going on over at Dynamite. It's fun, you know, but it, nothing big in this issue. Um, like I, I, the setup is Cassie's a camp counselor for children that have been traumatized and or have been exposed to nasty dealings with slashers and or the, the supernatural. And she she helps them be self-sufficient and fight and shows them combat techniques and stuff like that. And then you got this Dr. Chase that's reanimating the dead. Um, and Cassie hates Dr. Chase. He's a dickhead and she thinks that what he does is not good. And he reanimated Vlad. So Vlad is back. That's a big doing right there. But in this issue, Cassie puts herself in a position where she feigns death to get into Dr. Chase's lair. And she's autopsied. He makes the Y incision in Cassie's body. Now, granted, he only does the skin layer, but... She's got flapping barn doors of skin. She wakes up <laughs> during the autopsy and she goes, the fuck? And she looks down and she's got, she's, she's nude. Well, she's got little short shorts on, but the, from the shorts up, she's nude and she's got the Y incision. And you could see her sternum and her muscles and she's got blood all over the place. And then she, she continues to go through the rest of the story holding her flaps together. <laughs> Damn. And she's all, I mean, it's, it's just like how, so is Cassie going to have a Y scar for the rest of her existence? No, I, I can't see how she couldn't. Right. Mm, right. That's got to be incredibly tra traumatic to wake up during your own autopsy. Yeah. And then there's the attraction between Cassie and the camp counselor's daughter. And it is consummated. There's one panel in here where Cassie's got her hand straight down that girl's pants. Ooh. Yeah, it is nuts, man. Sounds like a boundless comic. Uh, no, it's Doesn't not. Sound like there was any no, else. it's not that bad. Um, it's it's mostly suggested there's no nudity. It's you know in that scene. Oh, that's the worst. But I mean, I I love this comic. I think it's great. I mean, I'm again, I'm a sucker for hack slash. Um, and in the back, you get a preview of the uh, Starkings and Shane Line and Shaky Kane, the beef. There's a multi-page preview of what's to come in that. Looks pretty cool. But uh, yeah, again, this is a this is a winner. Uh, I I would have given it to the Hack Slash Vampirella early on, mm -hmm. but this series has eclipsed that for me. This is fun stuff. This is Herbert West and and the the great um schlocky B movies of the 80s and 90s. I mean, this is this is the stuff we horror fans love. And it's it's all in here. And it's got a Tim Seeley cover. Yeah, it does. So there you go. There it is. Yeah, I mean, let's see what else. Um Oh, I won't go so deep into this, but I read Evolution number three. Dap, do you have plans to read that? Yes. Okay, I will say, 
four different writers on this thing. James Asmus, Joseph Keating, Christopher Sabella, Joshua Williamson. We get extended updates on all of the major players in this issue. It feels to me like one writer's writing this. You say that every I time. Do, I, and I'm amazed that you got four guys at the keyboard writing this thing. It feels like a unified voice. It feels like one person. I don't understand how they're doing it. If if you gave us a storyline to write, the three of us, there's no way in hell that it would sound like one guy writing it. It's true. True, it's, but we, we're not professional writers. We're not. And I'm sure they have their, their monthly or weekly meetings via whatever, Skype or, or phone or whatever, however they do it. But it it just amazes me that that they are pulling this off. Um, Abe's story is as detailed as the girls, is as detailed as Sister Hannah. Um, and how do they determine the twists and turns in the story? What if, what if, say, you know, Asmus has an idea and two out of the three remaining writers don't think it's a good idea do they do it do they not do it do they somehow incorporate parts of it into the story like it, it just four writers should not be able to to produce a story this tight i'm I, yeah i'm amazed i'm amazed that they're pulling it off you are amazed so but there and speaking of amazing we got to get this guy's name out um dan Pinocian. Did you ever, in your wildest imaginings, think that he could ever produce something as good as Slots? Oh, sure. Yes. You did? Not visually. Yeah, amazing. Not visually. I'm not talking about oh, visually. Oh, oh, you mean writing. Uh, the, well, I guess I hadn't thought of him as a writer, so um, I'm impressed for sure. I don't know that I thought one way or the other. I didn't think, well, he, he's not, he couldn't write something. But, but yes, you're right in that he is. His visuals are impeccable, and he's oh. definitely in that camp of far underappreciated relative to the common fan. Um, he's, he's not a household name, and he should be. He should. So I will give you where you're going, which is that the writing chops are there too, and who knew? I did not know. Yeah, and my God, mercy. My God, seriously. Have mercy. She's hotter than Georgia asphalt. I mean, let's, let's, let's be 100, though. I think he's got a real-life model to build off of there oh yeah. yeah yeah of course i mean his wife is a beautiful woman i'm not hopefully he wouldn't want to punch me in the face for saying that but she is okay dap i want to see how uh perceptive of a of a reader you are the uh dance auto repair lucy's business did you notice anything special about that what what issue it's in issue two. It's in issue three. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. There is. Where is it? Where is it? I'm pretty sure it's in issue two. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. It's in the... Give me a hint. All right. I hope it's in the third issue because that's what I have. Of 
crap. I don't think it's in the third issue. Okay. The, all right. The font that's used for dance auto repair mm-hmm. is the Iron Maiden font. Oi. No one heard it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why'd you say oi? He's not an Iron Maiden fan, bro. Well, <laughs> major, major fault. That's okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. try and overlook that. Yeah, the, se- the second and issue. We all have our faults, don't we? The, I uh, guess I got a ton of them. The the second issue with the the origin of um, how the friendships started to uh, fall apart. Um, it gets a lot lot worse. Yeah, I thought the second issue is great. The third, I'm, I I need to read the third and fourth because I want to see the. Um, I don't want to get caught up on the fight, but yeah, I read the third. I have not read the fourth. Oof. Okay. You could tell. I mean, it, it's one of those things where I guess Les is the villain. I guess you could call him the villain of this piece, but he has. I mean, Les is more. It's, you know. He, but he has a lot of cause to to hate Stanley. It's not his hatred is not unfounded. Let's just say that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay. That's all I got. I thought, it w- yeah, that's all I got for right now. Okay. Okay. What? Vince, what happened? Why did you drop off of Cannibal? Why is? I mean, you turned me onto it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I have okay. to get. I have to get caught up. I have them here. I just okay. they've they've been sliding around in the in the stack up and down like. I, I look at Pinocean's work and I'm like, God damn, I need to get caught up on this. So I I blew through three, four, and five, mm-hmm. and then so you know stuff falls by the wayside. And, uh, and yeah, and well, Cannibal's I will say that uh, the second trade, which is issues five through eight, um, it's still great. I mean, if for, for it, it's it's everything that the first few issues were, which. You know, you turned us on excited of the two. I, I, I love the art so much. I, it's incredible. I, I love the art, and, and I do think it's evocative of Pinocchio. That's what made me think of it. Um, and it's this is a heartbreaking story. This is not a happy ending story. <laughs> and and also, I should tell people, um, it's not. This is not a crossed or a. This is not an overly gory. Your stomach's going to churn. You know, this is. It's a horror story. I mean, they are cannibals, but it's not It's not overly graphic. You can read this book with... I mean, this is not a kind of book that you need a strong stomach to read. Yeah, not so far. Right. Right. I think it's, it's uh, a very I, I'm not good... Gonna get into, I'm not going to get into it more because I assume you will read it, but I, I, I will say I did read the second arc, and I, I, I'm still loving the book. I'll read the second arc for next week. All right. And cool. we can go off on it. I assume there's more to come, mm-hmm. but I don't know for sure. I haven't seen it solicited, so... That's the thing. It's been happening a lot recently, like uh, particularly with Dynamite, with these books that I love. Like The Shadow just ended with number six. Like it wasn't solicited as a miniseries. Vampirella hasn't been solicited for like two months. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. The, the stuff just comes and goes. Yeah. Maybe it's it's. 
because of the they're not selling it a lot. I, I mean, I don't know. I I can't even hazard to guess why. Whatever. All right, let's bring this bad boy home. Let's do it. As usual, this episode has been sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, the absolute best in getting you the books and stuff you want for an absolute rock-bottom price. Prices such as Action Comics 1000 for 3.99 from Dark Horse, you got Aliens Dust to Dust number 1 by Gabriel the Man Hardman for $1.99. And Robocop Citizens Arrest out of Boom for a dollar ninety-nine DCBService.com. In your travels. I was noticeably, if you go back and listen to the eleven o'clockers for twenty seventeen, I was noticeably aghast when Dapp selected what he did for best anthology. Why is that? Because complete honesty i thought the first issue of now was terribly boring i can understand it it wasn't all that exciting but you also have to consider how many anthologies i read last year true yeah i think i think it came in first place in a in a in a solo competition right but let, so we'll just leave it at i thought the first issue of now was terrible Mm-hmm. And I, to the point where I had planned to not order any more copies beyond what I had already pre-ordered, which was number two. And I recently, in my DCBS box, received number two. It's a complete 180 from issue issue number one. This issue contains work by Andrus Arp, Fabio Zimbres, Tommy Masturi, Josh Cotter. Sammy Harkum, Susan Jonitis and Graham Chaffee, Conzita Herrero, Ariel Lopez, V. Dash Shaw's in here, mm-hmm. um, Anya Strecha, James Turek, Joseph Remnant, and Nick Thornburn. This is what I want to see in an anthology. Particularly the story by James Turek. It is amazing. Um, it's called... saved and the cool thing about it is the narrative is done in two paths the words do not match the images the images are one story and the words are another but they're congruent at times and it's done in a panteresque laid back seat of my pants make some ugly but pleasing marks it's 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 art brute in in some spots it's 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 raw it's gritty and it's got dot patterns on it and it's printed on Mm -hmm. pink paper that's another thing i love about this anthology there are different paper colors or faux colors there's a textured color a textured pattern on the uh, first story that um evaporates with the second and then josh cotter's story looks like it was shot um from pencils or shot scanned from pencils but it's on a textured toothy paper that would be very conducive to working a pencil you know what i mean uh i i thought this issue was great and if we get more of this 
every, however, I think this is a quarterly, right? Every time, then I'll be in for the long haul. But it wasn't looking good with the first issue. Now, this is, this is uh, a huge leap in the right direction. So, pick up now from Fanagraphics, Volume 2. Or issue two. I like it. Yeah. And it's I only nine ninety nine t- for 128 pages. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the cover is crazy this time around. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. I, I have that sitting here next to me, right next to uh, the Superboy book one. I got as that well too. As um, the rest of my box from this month. Uh, but My New Travels is probably. My favorite thing that I pulled out of said box, and it is something that I'm going to seriously take my time with. Um, this is also from Fantagraphics. This is edited by Gary Groth. It is sparring with Gil Kane, and it is so not a comic book, but it is a slew of conversations that Kane has had uh, over the years with people like Howard Shaken, who also does the uh, preface, Harvey Kurtzman, Hal Foster, Robert Crumb. Um, it looks like there is a roundtable with Groth, and Howard Shaken and Walt Simonson. Um, oh, that's great. That's from the journal. I think a lot of this yeah, stuff pre- is I'm from the sure, journal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they all are. Um, it is, it, it just, I mean, I, I started reading the preface and, and Shaken's talking about how he, he first met uh, Gil, but he, he was, he was, uh, he was part of a group of four kids who um, idolized their, we, we were all, um, Partisans of one of four artists, Alex Toth, Joe Kubert, Carmen Infantino, and Gil Kane. We had only one thing in common. All of us loathed Mike Sikowski. And, uh, oh, that ain't right. <laughs> no, and he says, over the uh, very short years to follow, I would soon grow to understand the value of the other artists. I disdained at the time. I eventually came to truly love Sikowski stuff, but I was then and remain now a loyal follower and partisan of the work of Gil Kane. Um, talks briefly about uh, working for Kane, uh, how uh, Kane probably died still owing Shaken 50 bucks. Uh, he, he had a uniform more or less a, uh, it's gray flannel trousers, navy blazer, Oxford broadcloth shirt, uh, rep tie, and black wingtips. And Howard did not look the part to deliver uh, Gill's work to DC because, like most guys in the 60s and 70s, uh, Shaken had uh, long hair, work shirts, jeans, cowboy boots. Um, but once you get past the the preface, the the uh, in an intro. By Groth, it's just um, oh, just a conversation with Denny O'Neill. Yeah, I am going to have so much fun with this. This is um, this will be going on the shelf in your travels. It is uh, it 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 retails for only 
$22.99. It's a, uh, it's paperback, uh, decent dimensions, nice size on it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, there aren't, I, I enjoy the history of this medium, whether it's a book about Eisner, whether it's a book where conversation takes place between Frank Miller and Will Eisner, um, whether it's a book, unfortunately, written by Gerard Jones, there are so many things about this medium that I absolutely adore. And, and if I get to read about one of my favorite all-time artists, uh, I will happily do that. So that's my inner travels for this week. Respect it. Uh, my inner travels is a book that I was very nearly not going to buy. I, I I was unaware of it. Uh, until it was pointed out um, this week uh, by a few friends. It is Infinity Countdown, Adam Warlock, number one. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Um, written by Jerry Duggan, who I believe is helming the uh, Infinity Countdown cosmic event looming, and I believe that will be drawn by Aaron Cooter, who does the cover for this book. But the draw here is that the artwork in this single issue is by the All Reds, Mike and Laura. And they've had a lot of time to hone their cosmic craft the last few years, as All Red has been the penciler on the Silver Surfer uh, books for the last three or four years. Um, holy shit. This book is... Th- this book alone may win Laura All Red Color Artist of the Year for me. It, it, the colors are astounding... In this book, it's incredible. And in essence, it is uh, a one-shot bringing Adam Warlock back into the cosmic universe, setting him up for the status quo, getting him ready for the event. Um, But it's done in a very clever way, uh, and it's going to sound ironic based on um, uh, what we talked about earlier with the Avengers. But in essence, Kang brings uh, Adam Warlock uh, back and is essentially his spirit guide explaining to him what he has to do, when he has to do it and why he has to do it. And, um, Duggan deserves a ton of credit because in one issue he plays with Kang and time travel in such a clever way, uh, that is a not confusing, uh, and B the modality with which he uses is not something we've often seen from Kang, even though it's certainly something that would logically be in his repertoire. So um, love the setup, love the artwork. It's just jaw dropping. And basically it's a, a one shot that introduces everyone to Warlock. It, it, it um, Warlock often when he's resurrected uh, coming out of his cocoon lacks uh, his full memory, his bit of amnesia and Kang quickly brings Warlock through his own history, which Allred illustrates beautifully. So you 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 could read this having no prior knowledge of Adam Warlock and leave knowing enough about Adam Warlock to understand why he's going to be one of the main protagonists in the upcoming cosmic event. So huge, huge recommendation for Infinity Countdown, Adam Warlock number one. Uh, the art is just makes you fall on your ass. I think it's I need incredible. that. Oh, it's it's amazing! It's so good, and it completely was missed my radar. It it, it would have easily gotten lost in the shuffle. Hot because I'm not in the habit of buying these event books, much less the the, the precursors to these event books much anymore. So, yeah, it actually yeah, sounds pick, pick it up. 
Sounds good and interesting. And when the Allreds are on board, oh my God, Laura's Laura's colors are just incredible. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. All right, everybody. As usual, hey, follow us on the Facebook, or you can join our our Facebook group. We it's popping all the time, and we're on the Twitters and and other things and Patreons uh, and the Patreons. Uh, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics one one o'clock no apostrophe comics you'll love it by the way vince we are almost back to the six episodes a month here i know right i'm starting to tingle i know and and i guess per your promise earlier in the episode we're gonna all film little previous videos here and post them yeah i'm gonna have fun with that okay after effects man yeah, man, <laughs> groovy, groovy, man. <laughs> all right. Is it already if all five of my recommendations are just the five different covers of Domino Number One? <laughs> you could recommend whatever you want. It it matters not to me. It's your. If deal. any of you at home listening really do love me, you will pre-order Domino Number One. Oh no, they love you. They love you a lot because they were congratulating you. It's true. We did for, get for lots something of- for something you had no hand in zero. None. They're just, hey, good going, Jason. What? He didn't do anything. They love you so much. Well, again, that's 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 how being a fan works. I don't get it. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you get it though, dude. But you didn't do anything. Never you s- you sat in a on a seat and watched people, and they're like, yay, good going. I'm just. I'm it's totally, hard for you to understand, but I'm totally uh, baffled. I don't get it. Yeah, but what's weird though is I don't like. There's so many synergies to being a diehard sports fan and being a fanatic of things like that we're a fanatic of, like comics. I understand I mean, just, that part of it. Yeah, like I get the reason why you guys like the wrestling. It's it's no different though than if you know Gary Panter put out a new OGN about kaiju. People would deluge you with, holy shit, Vince, how awesome is that? But that's not congratulating me. That's like, this is cool. Not um, at a go, you know, at a boy. It's well, it's silly. It, I don't. I, I'm not saying that they're wrong for doing it. I mean, you got your your acolytes, and that's awesome. And I'm 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 they're acolytes. They're well founded in, in Well, I think what you're 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 maybe you struggle with and, and I don't I mean, I understand not being a, f- a sports fan, but I, I do not quite understand given your, your age and wisdom not understanding the concept is that sports fans assume ownership of the team. Sure. Emotionally. So when the team has unparalleled success, it begets the most easy way for people to uh have sympathicos to congratulate you on that. Right. And that's I mean, the no main reason why no, people no destroy things. Claiming, no one's claiming that any fan is responsible for the outcome. Correct. Correct. But I, I, I completely understand that in the sense where when the teams are wrongly refereed or whatever the hell happens, that people freak out and burn and loot and rip things down. Like, I, because they feel like the thing that they love and have some kind of connection to was wrongly judged or ruled. I get, I get that part, 
when I say I don't understand, it means I cannot conceive of ever buying into that mindset. I, it, it's so totally alien to me. But I'm again. I'm not saying that it's it's wrong. I mean, you do what you, you well, like, do. I you right? Vision a scenario where like Zappa, if we were a different time. I mean, that'd be a different time, obviously. But Zappa gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Where do you think he's in? No, 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 no. I'm saying, it, but I'm trying to make. I'm saying if had if it hadn't happened already, right? And it happens. I could see lots of people hitting you up on Facebook. And congrats, Vince. Yeah. Okay. It, well, it's hope, just another word of saying we're happy for you. It, it's uh, yeah. That's all it yeah. is. Hopefully next year Jay Giles will finally get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and people will congratulate me because I think it's you a freaking uh, tragedy. You know who's inducting tragedy. John Bon Jovi? Oh, don't even say his name. Why is he in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Bon Jovi? Yeah. No, you don't think he's deserving? <laughs> Hell no. No. Oh, okay. No. No, I mean I, I don't care one way or the other. I don't. I don't. I don't he's have a he's a for him, but he's a hairband Bruce Springsteen, or at least he was. I, I like them about equally in the sense that I don't like them, but okay. um, <laughs> but uh, but do you know who's inducting him? Okay, um, I'm guessing that it was it's somebody established. Yes, because I know about it. And if you know about it, it can't... Hmm. Somebody who would induct Bon Jovi. Don't say Bob Dylan. No, Bon Jovi asked this person to induct him. It's not Springsteen? No. Um, I don't know. Stern. Oh, Jesus. Yep, Howard Stern. King of all media. At one time, yes. At one time, he's more popular than he's ever been. For real? Oh my god, yeah. He just—he was the highest-paid uh, radio entertainer. Ninety million dollars he made last year. Mmm. He has almost twenty million listeners on Sirius. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I guess the Sirius move was a good deal. It was an incredible deal. He's made almost a billion, uh, half a billion dollars. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so oh my god! Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, well, so maybe there America, is hope for us. Plus, he did America's Got Talent, which I didn't watch, but that was a huge thing for him. Yeah, because it made a lot of people that hated him, even though they knew nothing about him, they went, to, they started liking him. Look at that. He has toned down the the, the salaciousness of his show. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah, to he leaves the salaciousness to his minions now. Right. Like I listen to the if you listen to Crucified by the FCC, that Howard Stern is nowhere near the Howard Stern that's now. It's so no, and, and as his he would show you, is he's so also a sixty two year old man now. Yeah, but he's so sanitized now. No, that see that's not fair. I mean I listen to him every day. He 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 still does plenty of crazy shit. I mean, there's still plenty of nuts stuff. Like there it's just that he just doesn't have lesbians riding the Sibian anymore. See, that's the that's what's missing for me. <laughs> well, I, I agree. I like that very much. I, but uh, I mean, okay, you know, he did have two of his cohorts. Uh, I mean, he did just have Cocktober for all <laughs> month. They celebrated cocks. <laughs> I mean, he had, he had Richard and Sal 
do Pictionary with their cocks. <laughs> and, and the loser, the loser had to get teabagged by them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Sal lost and Richard won. And so what, which, when, it, when Sal was closed, he closed his eyes because he didn't want to see the teabag. And <laughs> Richard stuck his dick in his mouth. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So may I stand corrected. Yes. That's so pretty damn still awesome. Goes, he, he still goes in hard. He still goes Literally. In hard. But nine, 90 million last year. Good God. Good. Well, you know, kudos to him. Well, kudos to him when you see the the people that are right behind him in second through fifth place. You got to say really kudos to him because the other five, the other four of that five are truly deplorable. Really? You can guess who I'm talking about. Rush Limbaugh? Rush is number two. Imus? No, Imus is nothing uh, anymore. No. no. Yeah. Well. Is Imus still on radio? Yeah. He just retired, actually. He just re- he just announced his retirement. I don't. Do, do, should I care? It's it's all the conservatives. It's, it's Limbaugh. It's Hannity. Ugh. It's, uh, it's uh, what's his, Bill, uh, Bill O'Reilly. Ugh. Um, yeah. He's still he's being he's still allowed to to broadcast. I thought there was a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, we're going down a, a different road. Glenn range. Beck. Glenn Beck is sixth. Ooh. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, let's see. He made ten million. Uh, Hannity made thirty six million. Oh my god. It's ridiculous, Jesus. fucking guy. Bill O'Reilly made thirty seven million. Oh Jesus! Stop. Fucking Seacrest, who's I mean, I can't front on him. I mean, that's fine. He made fifty-eight million. Good. Rush friend. made eight. Yeah, Rush made eighty-four million, which is fucking ridiculous. And Stern made uh, ninety million. Where's ninety million? Do- where's Infowars falling? That Infowars? Yeah. What's his? Oh, what's his name? Uh, Alex Jones. Yeah, Alex I, Jones. No, it's not. I don't. It's not on the list. It's <laughs> rightly so. Yeah. All right, everybody. I bet you it makes an insane amount of money, though. Yeah. How about George Norrie? Is he still in, do, doing Coast to Coast? He took over for Art Bell. <laughs> Talk about showing your age. Jesus Christ. Like whatever. Or was that a talkie? Or was that a, was that a... <laughs> Did that come on before or after the, the Green Hornet? Race? I'm going to teabag you, you up, next time. With, with, pulp, with the Pulps. Big dick. They sign out to the uh, National Anthem at the end of the night. We all going to see Black Panther next weekend? Yep. Probably not. Oh, Dude. The, uh, I haven't seen Thor or... We're going to spoil the fuck out of it. Go ahead. I don't care. I got to see it while I'm away skiing, by the way. Oh. Well, I, I, told, we, I told the wife, I was like, listen, I, I, don't, I don't know what we think we got planned, but <laughs> I'm hitting the theater. When, uh... No, as soon as I was able to, uh, my wife had me by the ticket so we're we already have our seats reserved everything is locked and loaded for uh for next friday word happy times big times happy times all right everybody hey thank you for being here with us once again we implore you to come back next week we'll have a nice hot and or cold beverage waiting for you and in the meantime you know the drill say good night
David. Fly, fly. <laughs> Good night. David. Wow. What do you think? That was pretty close. No. Way that was, too short. Well, the waveform will tell. I can measure it. You had a mad pause, and that was like the longest pause ever. It was, was a long-ass pause. No. It was a long oh, yeah. pause. It, it was the longest pause you've had in a few weeks. Yeah, it's a long pause. That's right, it's a long pause. Well, I got a good song taking us out. So, oh, the Eagles, the Eagles fight song? <laughs> a, I don't even know what that is. Two, never. <laughs> wow. My son was singing it. That is so fucked up. My That's son? good. At least one of the Bonvillies knows what's up. <laughs> I saw some picture on IG though, him trying to look all tough with his buddy. His buddy was shirtless. Oh there, yeah, like, That's... just like thug life over. Yeah. Did you read that. some of the comments? <laughs> no, that, no. That's his think. buddy Marcel. Marcel is is the Marcel the Marcel? no Marcel is Jeez. the he's the Six. he's the ultimate <clears throat> teen sports star great in football mm-hmm. you know plays baseball ripped he's Mar- marcel is the goal for kids his age to be he's who they all want to be yeah and Vinny's standing there and he's all skinny and shit <laughs> and his cousin replied ew <laughs> <laughs> all right peeps we out of here go hug your mother or your father or somebody or your kids whatever read some comics Come back. Philly fans, enjoy the parade tomorrow. Three three million people expected. It's pretty crazy. Cool. Three million people. That's a lot. You couldn't fucking pay me an entire fortune to go to a three million person event. Oh, if you paid me a fortune, I would go? Yeah. I would rather bludgeon myself. There's no, no way. For a fortune? We already got a fortune. I need a fortune. I would go. You're rich. You're rich in friendship and love and life. Everything that's it's all that matters. Yeah. All the rest matters. It's all transient. That is all that matters. View from the top. Looks good down below. Look down right. below. I can see your balls. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's. it's down there. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Come back. Please. We love you so much.
She never had dreams.